This episode of the only podcast about movies was recorded a little differently. In Shahir's stead, we have a very special co-host Skyping in from L.A., meaning if you hear any scratches, pops, or palm trees rustling in the background, please blame Skype and not us. And with that in mind, let's continue down the road. Enjoy the show. The city is flying, we're fighting an army of robots, and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. My name is Matthew Kroll. And pretending to need this guy really brings the team together. I'm Shalia Evans. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the Road to Infinity War special, Phase 2 episode. Dun, dun, dun. Shalia, welcome back. Oh, welcome. Welcome here still. (laughs) (laughs) I can't welcome you back because you're a you're a constant. I I am. I am. Thank you. Thank you. You know, no one welcomes me back. You don't leave. You don't leave. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't actually. I'm bolted to this chair. You can't be welcomed back. No, no. (laughs) Um, But yes, thank you so much for being here in basically the stead of my normal cohort in this. Uh, Oh, yeah. You are braver than he. Yeah, well, he dodged a a bullet with nightmares is what I'm finding. (laughs) I'm having a lot of very high concept nightmares going through all these movies. It's messing with my head. I want to hear about each one that has hit. I mean... I it just there's a really strong thematic shift in my dreams. Okay. Uh where there's a lot of really uh inescapable alien invasion situations going on. But the problem is my real life stresses then are being mirrored as well. So like I find myself in an in an Avengers type situation and my job is to like Make sure the kid I babysit doesn't die. <laughs> or like find my dog. So it's um it's a rough it's been a rough turn. All right. Well, hopefully we could we could we can get through some of this psychological trauma together as we hit these films. It's all right. It's a good change from normal. Yes. And actually, Shalia, we got some some very good questions pointed our way uh from our last phase one episode. Oh, Oh. I want to start with them uh, right up top, just to sort of get them out of the way. Great. Uh, we had a listener, Anthony, asking, <laughs> and I want your answer for this first. Where is the Chris Factory, and how do they keep managing to make slight variations? Oh, the Chris Factory, I believe, is located in Ireland. <laughs> and they, they've been in business for a long time, and what, and it, they this is just trickle down. You know, these are like offsets of the Irish Chris Factory. We have Pratt, we have Evans, we mm-hmm. have Hemsworth. I promise you, they all have Irish grandpas. <laughs> <laughs> so the we could we could blame the origin of the potato famine at the same place, or we could say Welsh maybe, but they're for okay. sure they're. I mean, but it's a very small part of the world that those boys are coming from and i look related to all of them <laughs> all right then we also have let's see a lot of these are a little bit sort of more weird not necessarily questions for us just what we think the answers could be okay, good i like that jordan asks have we ever seen a superhero sleep or rest i feel like the shawarma scene was the most casual moment in all of the mcu have we seen them sleep or re- i believe we've seen them passed out yeah yeah 
I don't think they, I mean, I don't know if I'd want to really see an extent. Well, even in the first film we talk about, we do see Tony uh, in bed at one point. We do. Um, Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I'd like to see that film. It sounds kind of boring. (laughs) Yeah. And then the final sort of halfway ridiculous question we got was from uh, Chris. And Chris asks, if Infinity War is the most ambitious crossover project in history, then how do you explain this? Now, Shalia and listeners, Mm -hmm. you, you can't see this, but what he sent along with it was a picture of I don't know when this was released but the Microsoft Windows 95 video guide starring Jennifer Aniston and Matthew Perry answer a question with a question sure why didn't we ask this chris fellow mm-hmm. where the chris's factory is uh, look i that's probably where we should go with this <laughs> where are you doofuses coming from <laughs> <laughs> apparently from the 90s when all we had to worry about was friends teaching us how to use pcs anyway thank you so much everybody for your halfway ridiculous questions that we are not <laughs> qualified to answer um but that was good. See, we, we ask and ye shall receive. Yeah. Aren't you glad you asked us questions? And if you want to ask us anything else, or if you noticed any of our marvelous facts we had last episode were wrong, you can email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Some marvelous facts? Marvelous facts. I'm mm. trying alliteration and failing, Shalia. Just, they should pay you for that. They should, they should pay us for this. For calling facts about Marvel marvelous facts? That's yeah. That's like gotta come with a 401k. Yeah, I, oh god. <laughs> They're making enough money to pay us. They could. I broke down the numbers this time. And put our salaries in. And put our salaries. This is Our salaries would be adjusted for inflation, but for instance, Great. guess how much off the top of your head, how much phase one alone, the first six films from last episode made? Uh, Three billion dollars. You are damn close. Three point eight billion dollars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm very close. And and phase two, which we'll be discussing today, uh, has made four point one. I was gonna up it just by to four. That was gonna be. I was just gonna incrementally go up. <laughs> so now, I mean, we won't even. Let's not even touch phase three yet. But Black Panther is gonna throw off the. Oh, those numbers are gonna get crazy. Black Panther just uh unthroned avengers i believe for the top superhero film yeah uh which is pretty damn it's just cool the top film right like yeah it, i think at this point it just might be the top film it's just unseated the the movies <laughs> <laughs> you win black panther yep okay 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 so let's get in to phase Two. Two. It's the odd duck. It's the adolescent sort of awkward teenage years, I feel like, of this endeavor. Hmm. Whereas phase one, ending with Avengers, is like watching your child like grow from infancy into standing up and walking on its own and being like, oh my God, how did we ever make this thing? Yeah. Phase two is is great and I'm continually proud of it, but a lot of times it pulls some teenage bullshit and I'm like, what? Uh, you, no, no, stop. No. Mm-hmm. The way it treats... uh harder issues uh women's issues a couple other sort of like real life things yeah i I call it the beginning of marvel's enlightenment which means they're checking off boxes of wokeness a couple times but they haven't totally figured out how to do it it's that awkward teenage years where you're proud of it but it keeps doing shit where you're like you should have why haven't you learned it's still jerking off in its room to (laughs) to everything (laughs) to literally everything 
Uh, when is he going to college? <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't go to college until uh, until phase three. Oh, he took a gap year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today, phase two consists of Iron Man 3, mm-hmm. Thor the Dark World, mm-hmm. Captain America, Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 1, mm-hmm. Age of Ultron, and Ant-Man. Yep. And we'll start with the Shane Black-directed Iron Man 3. Uh, this is the first Iron Man film taken uh, from John Favreau, who wanted to, I believe, direct. It might have been Jungle Book or another Disney thing. Oh, Jungle Book was great. Um, <laughs> this film, I have defended to friend and foe alike mm-hmm. for since it came out. When it came out, I initially really liked it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a nice differentiation from the first two Iron Man films. It felt different. It was Tony Stark stripped away from all of his toys. It was mm-hmm. just him relying on his smarts, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there's still elements that I do actually enjoy. The 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 tonal shift up, it's great. But this time around, I started seeing a lot of cracks in the things that I once really enjoyed. Oh, no, you're your own worst enemy here. <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of am. I mean... Well, okay. First off, what 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 was your impression of the film when you first saw it, if you can remember, and now upon rewatching? I remember really liking it when it, and I kept thinking that rewatching it, I was like, I remember, re- I, I was like, I like this. I I remember liking this, but I also didn't remember anything that happened in it. I only remembered like Pepper getting all souped up because I have a friend that cosplays that all the time. So I see pictures of her like that. Oh, nice. But that's the only reason I remember that that happened is because like a girl posts Instagram pictures of that (laughs) costume all the time that I'm friends with. But if you were, but I like know more about her cosplay than I could remember. Right. from the movie but i was like oh no i remember liking this and i still had fun i uh, yeah that's i mean that's <laughs> that's the important part i still had fun i had fun but i i kept sort of there's a lot of there's a lot of good and bad oh side note that yeah. that particular moment with pepper Potts at the very end of the movie sort of getting souped up with the extremis um that was something that she had requested and actually RDJ backed and like really fought for too because he was sick. They were both sort of sick of the like damsel nonsense. Yeah. So like at, at she the gets end, thrown that a lot. They're like yeah. good at business, but bad at staying alive. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So so that was a, a obviously a fun moment in the film that I really liked. Uh, other things uh, in particular was uh, that I still enjoyed was sort of dealing with Tony Stark's, I guess for lack of a better term, a little bit of PTSD or his panic attacks after, because if you think about it, the Avengers things happens. He flies a nuke into space. That's scary. Yeah, that's gonna mess with your your brain in a sense of 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 scale. Even is the is the yeah. easiest and most simple way I can put it. Well, I have panic attacks, so I enjoy a superhero for me. <laughs> <laughs> He's relatable now. He's my superhero. <laughs> it's uh, just somebody that's so scared of the world that they'll just. Wear a suit. <laughs> <laughs> Wear a suit of armor and also have to have a little kid throw snowballs in his face. Oh, that kid um, was fun. I like that kid. Did you like the kid? I like the kid. I like the kids. I like the actor. You don't like him as a plot device? <laughs> I don't even mind him as a plot device. I think my my issue with the kid. Is it the dad stuff? It might be the dad <laughs> stuff because they're so, they're trying too hard to make Tony a father figure as opposed to just being like a cool guy showed up 
at your house <laughs> needed help. <laughs> I think they dodged that bullet kind of nicely. I'll, this is the praise I'll give it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like when the kid says something along the lines of like, oh, well, dad left uh, uh, to get a pack of smokes. And he's like, oh, when we'll be back. He's like, oh, well, he, that was six years ago. So I, I don't think he's coming back. And, and Tony literally is like, well. You know, dads leave. No need to be a pussy about it. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I like that he talks to the kid like he talks to everyone. Mm-hmm. He doesn't baby the kid. He's literally like he treats the kid kind of like an equal. Yeah. This is um, another thing me and Tony Stark have in common. We have panic attacks and we talk to children like adults. <laughs> now, now, if you could only get down the trifecta, the third bit about being disgustingly wealthy. Oh, if only. I think overall, it's not even the kid that I, I kind of now have an issue with. It's just a sort of this movie feels like it was found in the edit room, if that makes sense. It's yeah, it's, they weren't like they were just shooting stuff and they they weren't totally sure how it was all going to come together. I feel like a lot of it sort of changed. Actually, the people I was watching it with when I watched it called this out uh, that the the when the Mandarin videos first hit, mm-hmm. it doesn't quite explain like Tony's telling the story. You like you hear the flashback from 1999. Yeah. Uh, side note, the I'm blue song uh, is a fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I had forgotten the structure of the movie. And when that started playing, my eyes. Eyes rolled all the way back into my head. I was like, "Are you gonna be kid?" And then I was like, "Oh, it's a flashback. Great, never mind." <laughs> yeah, right. I was ready to be so rude until I realized it was a flashback. <laughs> then I'm uh, like, "Oh yeah, this song was unavoidable. Never mind." Y two K. We were all terrified and all blue. Um, yeah, just the way this movie is constructed, it feels like there's three times that the Mandarin, the villain in the film, sort of mm-hmm. breaks into television feeds uh throughout the film to give like decrees and be scary yes um but they don't actually set up what's really happening very clearly outside of newsreel footage until the third time it happens so if you blink or you looked down or you uh your phone went off which i'm a big advocate for not having your phone on during a film but i'm just saying like it it's it's odd because you're like, wait, what's happening? Okay, it was 99 and, and then this thing happened and then Tony's back, but now it's what and then he's instantly in a bar with Rhodey being like, what, what, what's this? What's going on with the Mandarin? Also, as if Rhodey would be allowed to discuss that. Like, I feel like <laughs> th- I was like, you can't just have this conversation, man. Like, this is this is some hard stuff uh, in public. In public, just like casually at a bar, being like, what about the world's biggest terrorist? (laughs) What's the U.S. government know, buddy? Um, My thing with the Mandarin is that uh, when I first saw it and this happened again, and so they tricked me twice. Third time, shame on me, I guess. Yes, of course. uh, Twice is fine. No, but I got I get distracted by the character because I'm like, it's Ben Kingsley Mm -hmm. and he's being insane. Mm -hmm. And there and I forget that he is an actor in the movie. And I get judgmental of the choice where I'm like, this is so much. And like, what's that accent? And like, I just get so judgmental of what I think is the acting, but it's the acting within the acting. And then I'm like, for, I forgive it later. Yeah. But I, I spend most of the movie being like, what is this? Like, why is he talking like that? We know who Ben Kingsley is. <laughs> why is he sound like a weird, crazy Southern guy? Like, 
And you'll never see me coming. And I, I just, I was very distracted the first time and this time because I had forgotten that that's what happened. <laughs> so I was mad again. Fell for it again. Ben Kingsley plays Trevor Slattery playing the Mandarin. Um, in nerd, in Nerdland, Shalia, in comic book Nerdland, I should say. Uh, Nerdland. People... They were upset and they absolutely shouldn't have been at the Mandarin twist. Because oh, is the Mandarin real in the comic books? Yes, but the Mandarin is one of the most racist nonsense characters to ever come out of the 70s and coke fueled 80s. Uh, it's it's just literally uh, a mystic Chinese billionaire character, but like not 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 done well. Yeah, I mean, the name doesn't do anybody any favors no so when they made this choice to a cast ben kingsley then make Mm -hmm. him sort of an amalgamation i like that i like that even how you just pointed out his his bad acting choices is actually a a narrative thread in the film yeah when tony's researching him he's like okay so he talks like a baptist preacher he has middle eastern iconography but his name's the man like it's a it's a mashup so much stuff yeah that and yeah so it is it's it's a little meta moment because you as the audience are also like what the hell is this guy but also thank god it wasn't what the mandarin sounded like it was gonna be <laughs> yeah 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 no I, I every thought it moment was a- of it i'm like at least it's not where it could have gone <laughs> again i think this uh this was marvel again i go back to the teenage years this is where it did something correct it took a problematic character still used the name but then basically rolled it back to to not only make sense and fit into the universe as a whole but not be crazy offensive yeah because there's no i mean human history is so racist (laughs) wait what everything we've done all the time is kind of the worst so if you go back even 20 years the source material is going to be rough (laughs) we've (laughs) human history the source material is going to be rough. Shelia Evans, 2018. I mean, I'm fine with, I'll die on that hill. <laughs> the source material <laughs> for human history is rough. Um, for every good thing they do, I feel like there's a sort of bad thing they do in this film. And, and yeah. <laughs> one of the things is there's a, a lot of needless uh, bikini work going on in, in this film. <laughs> They're at a, talent contest in like tennessee yeah 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 here's the thing uh we're about to hit the like the turn in the marvel universe where it turns into just like like a man fat meat meat man factory like they're about to start handing us hot guys hand over foot with gratuitous taking off their shirts so i'll allow it so because they're about it hasn't happened yet but like they're about it gets so over the top and has not let up since that I feel seen and respected. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Earlier in the in the in the timeline of this, you guys got your bikini girls or whatever, but they have no movie gives you more shirtless guys than Marvel movies. None. None. <laughs> There's nowhere to go for better, just like Kendall's like they're <laughs> I and I appreciate that and so I'll allow I'll allow some gratuitous bikini work I'm sorry I'm uh, I'm walking with you for a second okay that's fine because I Walk just away. remembered remember how Tony Stark and I both have panic attacks yeah I forgot to take my evening anxiety medication 
All right. Well, we got we got you covered. Don't <gasps> worry. This is the perfect film to take them during because if Great. if Tony had them, there he would there wouldn't them. have been an issue. All right, Tony. Well, this is well, Tony. I'm pouring the water. <laughs> This is what you wanted when you were like, let's record a podcast, right? <laughs> you know what? Yes. In fact, I'm going to join you in the exact opposite of sort of what you're doing. I'm going to now crack a beer because to keep talking about Iron Man 3, I feel like that might be necessary. Mm. If you think cracking a beer is opposite of taking what I'm taking, you're wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> I always think it's funny when people think I'm like, they're like, you don't seem like someone that has like anxiety problems. I'm like, yeah, because I'm high all the time. Yeah, because you're. <laughs> handling it you're taking care of yourself it's expensive to seem this fine yeah okay well speaking of expensive yes back to marvel movies <laughs> enough about your mental well-being shalia all right different podcasts let's talk about fake men in fake metal suits Woo -woo. the thing that actually still impressed me about this movie and not that these movies should ever be about sort of their set pieces or that's not where they normally shine mm -hmm. uh the the actual scene when um the What's it called? The, the Air Force One gets blown up and there's all the the, steward, the stewards falling out. Oh, uh-huh. That legitimately was shot with skydivers. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cool scene. And it totally, like, because, yeah, you can, and you can tell watching it, you're like, oh, no, I'm not watching a CGI thing. I'm watching a real thing happen. Yeah. And because of that, it's way more interesting than a lot of the stuff like big action sequences that Marvel usually has. Yeah, we're, we'll talk a little bit more about the sort of realism and things as we get through, especially in Winter Soldier. But this was just a scene that that I it sticks out in my brain, and I've watched the making of, and like I did a bunch of research on like how they did it, and like the mm -hmm. the uniforms that the stewards were wearing all had hidden um, parachutes in the back. Oh, cool! And like. And they all had to do grab each other. The only CG element was actually just Iron Man, mm -hmm. and it it felt like real and had agency and it was just it was very rarely do i get moments of like oh no these people are in trouble and the hero is going to actually like it never feels real that felt real yeah and it stretches out long enough to it's not like a quick fix like it's like real time trying to catch people before they crash into the earth and die yeah and then obviously i kind of liked i, I like the deconstruction again going back tony stark his whole house gets destroyed what a bummer yeah, it's a great house. Said location. So sad. But then he passes out in his suit and gets flown to Tennessee based on a flight plan. The, the only reason anyone goes to Tennessee is you just pass out and <laughs> so wake up there. passed out in an Iron Man suit. <laughs> How did I get here? <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Much like that sort of just like ending up somewhere, most of the structure of this film does just feel like Tony's getting catapult. Like there is an intricate hidden plot with like why things are happening and the mandarins explosions but then they're also accidents but not really and they're covering it up and trying to use the news cycle to 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 both control the terrorist mm -hmm. and then the vice president who will then be a president because his kids got one leg and they think the extremist stuff can grow the leg back it's very complicated it is very complicated also this really establishes uh, yet again how the whole world hates Tony Stark, no matter how heroic he is. 
people really don't like him. Well, he was he was a super I, douche. I um, get it. I get it. But there's no he's he's hard to redeem in the eyes of this universe. Well, uh, Age of Ultron's not going to help that when we get it there. It is not. Um, nothing. Nothing helps it. <laughs> it's so strange. It is the first movie in a long time that I've been like, no, I really like it. And I've, I've thought that for a long time and then mm-hmm. rewatched current day where I'm like, oh, well, here's my big complaint about it. OK. Um, I've never been less captivated by a final fight. Yes, there we go. I just tune out. Right. And then all of a sudden, Gwyneth Paltrow is like ripped and shows up and I'm like, oh, what? What? Wait, I wasn't paying attention. What happened? Because I just up until she shows up again, it's you're just watching a video game. (laughs) Where you're like, I don't care about anything. Like, oh, no, I hope the suit doesn't die. Like, we know there's not even a pretend character in the suit. Yeah. It's just some guy's car driving around. Like, it's like watching (laughs) cars fight, like going to a demolition derby with nobody in the cars. It's except the cars are also not real. <laughs> You're imagining the cars. Fake demolition derby with a CGI president held over a Christmas tree. They're going to yeah. light on fire. Um, Who, if they think we care about pretend presidents that much, they're wrong. They are wrong. And you know what sucks too, it, especially in action movies. I used to do this. I think when I was younger, I'll pinpoint down into what I think like are the sort of important moments so that that whole fight scene you're discussing the the third act mm-hmm. big blowout fight scene with all the suits the the uh, house party protocol as Jarvis calls it yeah it's it, it is bloated and stupid and you don't care you don't care but I watch these things too closely uh-huh. and I give them more credit because inside of that here's the thing inside of this big bloated nonsense fight there are genuine cool moments mm-hmm uh, when he's fighting Aldrich and the suits keep coming and he keeps getting a piece of him, there's a part where like Aldrich like cuts the leg off, but he gets the leg out of it. There's a whole like section. There's that a bunch stuff of is cool. There's a bunch <laughs> of creative fight choreography with CGI stuff going on, but that's fifteen percent of it. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. rest is just exactly as you put it. It's just flying around. The last thing I'll say about <laughs> Iron Man three is the post credit scene actually does something uh with the structure of the film being tony like recalling a story yeah 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 yeah. which is cool it turns out to be he's listening it to a a bruce banner who has dozed off yeah which is uh a great i love it it like makes you feel a little like it was okay that you stopped paying attention during the end because you're like the hulk was also not paying attention yeah it's a weird It's a weird moment of meta relation with the film, but not in a positive way. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, we know, we know how bored you got. But look, it's not just you. (laughs) Yeah, it's literally characters in the MCU are bored by this. Also bored by this. I was trying to watch these two with sort of like current times in mind of like what is there anything again going back to Shahir uh co-host normally on the show's initial question on what these films mean yeah or if there's any meaning we can derive from them I think that's more of the what we sort of hit on last time and that is there is something to be said about this movie kind of calling and a lot of movies do this isn't just an Iron Man 3 revelation but like dealing with the 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 idea of fake news yeah creating terror threats false flag operations etc yeah that's something that happens not only in our government but in governments all over the world yeah and 
it's it, it, for as as intricate as the Mandarin or Aldrich's plot is in this film. It's it, it, if you take away all of the convolution, it's a relatable problem. It that, is, and yeah. it's and it's calling like to to light in a very popcorny, digestible way a really serious problem in the world which is like which is hard to do and they do it well and i don't know that that's the point yeah i don't think anyone sat down and was like i want to make iron man 3 a manifesto about how we view news like i don't <laughs> think that's i don't think that happened ever no or since i don't think they would have noticed it but since we're watching them all <laughs> it is a very digestible statement about what we are fed through media. I want to find meaning in these films because if we are, if if that's a film that's going to make one point two billion dollars or whatever I said before, like mm-hmm. there has to be something in there other than the fun explodey bits and the good performances around all the problematic stuff that we said that that maybe we can glean from it, even if it wasn't its purpose. Like yeah. we dev- will derive our own purpose from it. That's um, the fun of art. Yay. <laughs> We did it. We did it. All right. Enough Iron Man 3. We've given that film too much time. Oh, we have. We've been talking a long time. We were. <laughs> Shalia, this is going to be. Oh, no. Settle in. I hope you got more of those meds. I mean, my dog's going to hate this. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Your dog's going to love this because we're going to talk Thor, the dark world. Thor, the dark world. Directed by Alan Taylor. What's he do? He's done a bunch of uh, Game of Thrones episodes, Ooh. including the big shark jumping one with them above the wall and the dragon and the, the whole thing. Um, well, 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 interesting, because the last episode, I called out Thor for stealing the White Walkers. Stealing the White Walkers, yes! Our theories are still valid. I am not saying uh, that y- you are psychic, but I'm also going to ask you uh, what I should be investing in in the near future. Oh, God. <laughs> Wrong question. You no. you should ask me like who's gonna dump me next. <laughs> That's more my. <laughs> I'm better at like intuition about heartbreak and <laughs> the the interesting thing that you just sort of brought up about uh you know talking about either figuring out who's going to be dumped next or etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. There's a weird sad story about the director's seat of this film. Oh no! And it's gonna be kind of heartbreaking, and I don't want it to taint the rest of your uh, experiences with this film. Oh, because this is still a film that I will go to bat for that everyone attacks. Okay, um, I didn't know people attacked it. People don't like this movie, and I think that they're silly. Um, but it could have been a much different film had in 2011 uh, the director who was officially announced to direct this film uh, won Patty Jenkins. <gasps> yeah. The Wonder Woman director herself was on board to direct Thor The Dark World, but she backed out of the project due to, quote, creative differences. Natalie Portman actually was publicly upset about it, and sources even claimed that she threatened not to take part in the film with another director, but she couldn't get out of her contract. Oh, man. Well, I get it. Patty Jenkins is amazing. Yeah, and I I don't want to downplay Alan Taylor what he did with this film, because this is a hard film, I think, to pull off. I do think Mm -hmm. a Patty Jenkins film would have been one that, like, because I do think Wonder woman is a better film than thor the dark world so i would be i would love to see patty jenkins version of this film mm-hmm. um but i just found that really interesting like that that what what could have been yeah 
Oh, man. We're going into this film. Uh, Natalie Portman uh, at Jane Foster. A lot of people give this movie shit because it, it, it damsels her a bit. How do you feel? What Do you, do you think she's damsely in this one? What do, you, what do you got for that? I Here's the thing. It could go damsely. But I do appreciate that, like, like I love the scene where they're analyzing her. Uh, they, like, take her to Asgard and they're, like, analyzing what's wrong with her. And she's like, no, I know what that is. Thank you. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, I like that scene. I like that she's, like, a step ahead of them. And they're kind of being dismissive because she's an earthling. Like, they're like this human. And she's like, no, no, no. I was right. Thank you so much. Like, I enjoy that part of it. I don't think the script is problematic in a sense that it damsels her. I think the script the only, is sort of problematic because it doesn't have much for her to do. Yeah. Uh, she gets the ether, which turns out to be yet another infinity stone at the end of this uh, at the end of this romp. Mm-hmm. At this point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we would have seen two Infinity Stones, the the Tesseract being one of them, which is the Space Stone, and uh, this one, I believe, being the Reality Stone that will eventually go and Thanos will be fighting over in Infinity War. So these are, this is the second sort of magical MacGuffin. Knowing that that's what's up now. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'll pay more attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's interconnectivity. <gasps> oh, this um, is going to come back? Oh, I'll, I'll pay attention. This is oh, it's not just a demolition derby piloted by no one. All right. I'm in. So this film, I think, does overall a lot right. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is a really fun and actually I found I kept I always forget that it's like it's actually kind of emotional in a familial sort of sense. Yeah. It makes Asgard feel a little more real. Again, not as real as Wakanda, but realer than the the CGI, like the super just clean look of it. Yeah. Uh, that to they be did. fair, it is not on Earth. No, that's very true. Wakanda uh, is of this Earth. Yes. They did film parts of this, though. Actually, it wasn't in all Wakanda. green screen. <laughs> they, in, in Wakanda. Straight, Weird that straight they out chose to film this movie in Wakanda, but <laughs> for Black Panther, they made up a whole fake Wakanda. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> weird choice the other thing i'll give praise is sort of on the same level the art design of this film and the dark elves in particular mm-hmm. i think uh, is you you watched it and you know that people like cared about weird details that no one would ever give a shit about yeah yeah, yeah. like the way the ships are designed the dark elf ships the uh the way their propulsion works apparently i've read way too much about the, the dark world <laughs> is uh there's black holes inside of them and rather <gasps> than a propulsion system it's an inversion system where they'll open a gate cool and the black hole will pull the ship forward as opposed to be like pushing it oh that's very cool and the way even the way malaketh uh, chris eccleston uh, of doctor who fame uh sort of like is in his like sleepy pod mm-hmm. And like the way the sort of the little plates open up over his face is the same way the plates open up on the ship. Like it's like a culture to it. Yeah. Yeah. They like made them a culture. They wrote an entire language for them. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of love going into small parts of this film. And anytime a a blockbuster does that, I I am normally on board because even if you don't get on like with if maybe the story doesn't resonate with you or whatever, as long as the world building is there, I think anyone can sort of go along with the ride of it. Also. Side note. Yes. I love when we get it. I, I enjoy the Thor stuff because all everything to do with Thor's universe is so fanciful. <laughs> like, like the fact that there are dark elves all of a sudden in a world that is almost entirely human usually is fun for me. <laughs> I like I like all of the stuff that Thor brings into the 
into the Marvel Universe. It's so fun. Yeah, it's cosmic, but not really because it's still Viking and Norse. Yeah. And in a weird way, at this point in the MCU, Loki and Thor's dynamic, even though they're gods, is the most human dynamic we've actually seen. Yeah. Because uh, they, in their world, are not abnormally... They're not like the special guys to the same extent that the other Avengers are. Yeah. Everybody's pretty special where they're from. They are special. They're princes. There's yep. kings. They're special. Mm-hmm. But it's not this. There's not that huge difference where they're like, I alone can do this. It's like, no, I come from a culture where we do this. Where everyone does this. All the we're Warriors all, 3 have powers. We're all like this. Sif has powers. I like Sif in this movie. I wish she was given more to do. Um she rescues Thor once and then like leaves after the first act. Uh, I'm glad they don't f- double down. I wish they hadn't even bothered to hint on it, but the like, why don't you marry her thing? You, oh, you didn't like that. I wish it didn't, wasn't there at all. <laughs> like, I'm glad they didn't double down on it and make the like women be catty with each other. Cause that's where it could have gone. And I'm glad they didn't. And I enjoy that they didn't, but I also was like, I don't care at all. Why do we have to have that? I don't know. Again, I'm going to go back. Awkward teenage years. It shows a level of restraint, but then a slight like still not quite understanding why they're restraining themselves. Yeah. They're like, oh, the two hot girls. Which one does he want? And then they're like, oh, but it would be like anti-feminism to make them fight. It's very. (laughs) (laughs) But like you're still setting that up like they're supposed to be jealous yeah you yeah i have i was trying to think of bad analogies but i'll just skip that part (laughs) uh one thing uh i and again going back to sort of how loki and thor work together as a a familial bond and sort of as brothers at at Mm -hmm. each other's throats uh and it's all sort of focused around their mother yeah um played by renee russo who does work in this film for the uh, uh, Frigga is uh, Frigga 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 I don't know how to say her name Frigga Frigga <laughs> you have to say um, it say it like Hannibal Lecter <laughs> hello Frigga Frigga yeah I don't know uh, but she has very little screen time and it manages to make a death scene resonate along with the other actors involved but she she in particular I, I every time I see it it's one of those like it's the opposite and the same thing as Iron Man 3's story, right? Because Iron Man 3's story, you're right. You watch it, it goes away because you're kind of like, ah, and then you watch it again. And you're like, oh, this is surprising again. Yeah. I I don't remember the resonance of this, you know, for whatever reason. But every time I see it again, it's a joy. It's uh, not. It's a joy to watch your die. No, but like, it's like I, <laughs> I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at how af- emotionally effective the scene is. Yeah. Given yeah. how lean that part of the script is. I, I I get that. I see that. Yeah. What else stood out for you, if anything, from this one? Because it's it's it, it's it's an odd duck, but it also feels the most almost like a standalone movie. It yeah. I love. I mean, look, we've established I like Loki. <laughs> Listen to episode one to see how much. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna get worse. It only gets worse. <laughs> but I love that this like because they say like, oh, Loki's tricky, like he's a trickster, but he doesn't really do anything that tricky up until this point right in a like whoa that's what they were doing kind of way this movie's the first time that you're like oh you thought 10 steps ahead of everyone else you are tricky like they they did a good job with that like their end plan 
uh, to like, like they do so many fake outs. Yeah. It's, and it establishes a relationship as brothers. That's fun. That like, even if they don't like each other, they have enough of a, a dynamic with each other that they can pull off tricks. They can like trick people in very high stakes situations. Yeah. And, because and, they're, they're brothers. Yeah. And, and Chris Hemsworth again, I, I, he's too funny for someone so hot. Sure. I mean, that's true. There's no question about that. It's but also a little rude. Oh. I think he can do almost anything. If that's like I've seen him do comedy. I've seen him do action. I've seen him do the combination of both. Uh, and I know this isn't a drama, this film, but like the moment in particular when they're they're on that skiff trying to escape Asgard, I think, or whatever. But he looks over at Loki. He's like, I wish I could trust you. Yeah. And I was like. He has a presence and a weight to what he says, which is impressive as hell to me because this movie is nuts and the characters are crazy and like it's all fanciful and like nonsense yeah. town. Yeah, but- yeah, yeah, yeah. But he grounds it very well. Yeah, he, I, that I will say Thor, like or Chris Hemsworth in this movie, like even though it's like oh, it's action or it's like what, however you categorize this, he is doing a drama. Yeah. Yeah. In a way yeah. that grounds all the other stuff. Yeah. Everyone else is doing uh, and not in a disconnected way. I don't mean like he's doing because I've seen movies where someone's doing a different movie and you're like, get it together. But Thor is so genuine in his motivations that it it ground it gives a re- grounded reality that allows for like Loki quips and crazy and elves <laughs> like you yeah. know he, he he has a reality to him which is really grounding yeah and the, the interesting part sort of too is uh, we, we go back to this um, I've gotten to a lot of discussions about how Marvel has a villains problem I don't actually think it does and I can explain why later on but the the reason even uh, Loki is in this film at all and thank God he is because then we, we get like that- him we like him and we get, I think, a better performance from Chris Hemsworth and a better sort of Thor, a reason to have him on screen to have mm-hmm. that sort of agency for his family. Um, Loki wasn't going to be in the plot, the script at all until uh, the popularity of him after the Avengers. Originally, it was all going to be Malekith and the Dark Elves, but then the script was, re- was rewritten. Thank God. And I think that's a good thing. But what you get is people complaining about how, oh, Malekith isn't a good villain. Uh I think Malekith is the perfect villain for this particular story. Now, when people keep going back, I think, to the Heath Ledger school of what a villain should be in a in a superhero movie. Oh, mm-hmm. The Dark Knight, great film. Heath Ledger's Joker is transcendent and wonderful. But there's only so much. And, and you're an actress. Tell me if you, if you agree with with this statement. And if you don't, don't just just tell me the truth because I'm curious. OK, I think a film a film's structure can only support so much and I'll just call it weight until we figure out a better word right mm-hmm. the reason why Heath Ledger's Joker is allowed to work and be as big of a presence on screen as it is is because Batman is kind of boring as fuck like yes no one gives a shit really about Batman. You're there for the Joker. You're there for Heath Ledger. And and Batman taking a backseat allows Heath Ledger's Joker to sort of fill in that space. I mean, Batman, Superman, they're kind of boring guys to surround by eccentrics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are. And it works. It makes for cool movies. 
but it's a different dynamic than the Marvel characters. Like, especially the way they've co- like been realized in the movies. Like, they have their own personalities that handle themselves. And like, I like, I li- like coming bringing it back specifically to Dark World. I enjoy that there can be a bad guy, like a villain that is still not the ultimate problem because Loki keeps getting involved. Like the problem keeps being a a family dynamic above all else. And so I don't think of it as a problem with the villain. Like I didn't know, I didn't know people didn't like them, but I saw them as a vehicle for Loki's shit as usual. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because Malekith, I'm going to co- I'm going to coin the term. I'm not coin it. Just use it. Uh, an effective villain for this story because yeah. the emotional weight isn't coming from. Oh no, the world's going to end because that just doesn't work anymore. I think we've kind of proven that that people get bored from that. Mm-hmm. The weight or the the feeling of oh no, what's going to happen is really just about our main characters. So Malaketh is fleshed out if if attention is paid enough to the character you know why he's doing what he's doing and how he plans on doing it and then it just sort of plays through the beats giving our characters in the marvel's uh playbook that they've done their characters are so engaging kind of unlike batman Mm -hmm. that there's not a ton of room especially when you throw loki into the mix for another weird compelling like villain and and it's okay to have one-off villains villains should be defeated yeah sometimes and there's a lot of like there's a lot of uh personalities going around in this movie yeah. like you've got uh, well, meanwhile on earth you've got cat dennings running around being cat dennings she's a personality like you, you she's not just there as a you know background person she's funny and doing her thing but then with her you've got what's his Stellan Starsguard being weird as shit running yeah. around naked <laughs> like there's a lot going on and then you've got these huge personalities with all the Asgardians and you've got poor Jane has got a thing inside of her like there's a lot going on yeah so I was I'm never annoyed that like oh the villain doesn't have enough going on because there's so much going on a hundred percent also if you're too attached to a villain and then they die you get a loki situation where you have to keep bringing them back and then people complain in the next movie <laughs> yeah no you're 100 percent right i'm glad i'm glad i'm glad you validated me Shalia, you're welcome i appreciate it no problem no one is with me um what else about dark world i think the ending is a really fun uh non-cliffhanger cliffhanger that um for better or worse, Ragnarok kind of throws away for a joke, which is fine because we'll get to Ragnarok when we do. But like, I like oh, uh-huh. that Thor comes back. Odin offers him the throne. Thor says no. Yeah. Thor leaves. It's revealed that Loki's actually alive and Loki's pretending to be Odin. Like, that's What's cool. What's fun about it, too, is like the actors all did it really well because you can even though everything that's happening seems genuine, you can tell something's off when you're watching it. Yeah. You're like, this doesn't feel like odin usually feels Mm -hmm. even though everything he's saying the dialogue is spot on for what he would say 
Anthony Hopkins is selling that he's like subtly changed just enough that it's very cool. It's a very cool moment. When we get these old school, really sort of great actors, Anthony Hopkins, Rene Russo, uh, especially as we go in Robert Redford mm-hmm. going down the list, even down to Michael Douglas uh, in this phase. It's so nice because they do small things that matter. Yeah. Um, and that's always great. Oh, and I think Thor, the dark world uh has the best cameo i think in any marvel movie whatsoever and by that i mean when thor and loki are walking down the hallway and he's transforming into a couple different people and he transforms into chris evans and makes fun of him on the avengers it's so good i just read a fun thing apparently there's a take with Loki actually just in the suit. Like Loki's oh. in the Captain America suit. Oh, I want to see it. that. And then Chris Evans watched that and tried to mimic it as best he could. Oh, that's very funny. And he was, he, Chris Evans was like, I spent my entire career up to this point playing this character trying to not make him over the top. And this was the first time I was allowed to like play him as G- a Reggie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very funny though. So this film I think gets overlooked or, 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 or shit on a little too much. And we roll with different people because everyone I know we're there for those shirtless guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> You have to remember, I only discuss Marvel movies with other single women. <laughs> and I normally only discuss Marvel movies up till recently with uh, with with my dude friends. Not all of them, but again, it's a reason why I was excited to have you on here because I this it's I like perspective shifts, and especially it's something that I enjoy. I would like to see if and why other people enjoy mm-hmm. them. Well, and I will say, I mean. We were uh, I was suggested as a as a guest host with you by Miss Elise Brando. Yes. She knows how horny I get about these movies. <laughs> she has mentioned on multiple occasions. She and I are disgusting when we see Marvel movies. So she <laughs> knew what she was offering. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to give you a girl that would just goes to the movies to objectify men. <laughs> yeah. What superheroes can change clothes. And when <laughs> it, it's just a number, it is. Is there ever an end for you, Shalia, with the number of abs? Well, if it goes too far, I get what well, the thing is in real life. I'm like, oh, I just like little, little nerdy guys. But like <laughs> in the movies, you know, we're all allowed to dream. Uh, <laughs> Dare to dream. If I was ever around any of these men in real life. I'd be like, I peed. Like, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know how to talk to these sort of people. I mean, this is out of my league maybe uh, <laughs> maybe chris evans is into that we don't know i don't know um, i've been around chris evans and he wasn't as tall as i wanted him to be and i was so well, sad. Come, okay come on i'm pretty you can't tall. help that i'm pr- but i just i you know they look so imposing i understand okay okay they wear big boots you know they do there's a lot yeah the boots definitely have some lifties anyway <laughs> different topic <laughs> different topic um Again, going back to the Shahir question to, to learn what the point. Yeah. Is there a more of a point to this or or I don't know. I, I feel like what I get from it is more of a story about who they are in their world, because before we've seen Thor more as like a fish out of water on Earth. Right. So it's providing like, oh, no, like a, a story f- more from Asgard. Um. And you get to see their family dynamic and it's like a family, it's a family story Yeah, more than anything else. 
And it does play a role in adding to the buildup of the Marvel timeline. Like there's a lot of stuff that happens in this that you that you need to remember. Yeah. I didn't know a lot of this. <laughs> like the Infinity Stone thing. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. These have been <laughs> there have been a bunch of these. <laughs> <laughs> was I supposed to be watching that? Oh, shit. How else is Thanos going to bedazzle his gauntlet? Yeah. Uh, See, I root for villains. How can you be against a bedazzled gauntlet? <laughs> you can't. You, you can't. physically actually can't yeah. if he gets all those stones. Um, it's a great statement about crafts. Yeah, it's really, it's MCU is just a big. Nothing <laughs> can beat Etsy. Yeah. Oh no! Um, well, speaking of the the Infinity Stone, at this point, the the end of the uh, the post credit sequence for this one, I believe, is Sif and one of them bringing uh, the stone to the Collector, mm-hmm. who will show up in the Guardians films, so he has it safe. Um, the Collector is a celest, as um, I know, um, he's not a celestial. He's something. He's uh, he's what basically in Thor Ragnarok, he's that character's brother, uh, Jeff Goldblum's brother. Oh, they're all. They're all these cosmic entities that are basically the embodiment of obsessions. So, for instance, the collector is obsessed with collecting. Mm-hmm. The the grandmaster Jeff Goldblum's character is obsessed with games. There's seven of them in the comics. Oh, I didn't know that. That's fun. I like that one of the realms in the universe of Thor. When they say it, sounds like they're saying Anaheim. I know they're not, <laughs> but it's fun because it's like go to Disneyland, kids. Like, <laughs> well, the mouse wants that too. I like. Liked it. I'm like Anaheim is one of the seven <laughs> or nine realms. Nine realms, sure seven is. dwarves. Nine, nine, seven dwarves, nine realms. Two realms are missing dwarves. Um, okay, so th- let's round out of Thor: The Dark World here and jump right into the Russo brother-driven film, both Anthony and Joe, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Mm. Um, these guys, these directors, are the ones that will be directing Infinity War. Oh. Okay. Or have been and will continue to. Uh, side note, when are our sisters going to make movies? I don't have one. I can't do it. Somebody with a fucking sister make a fucking sister movie. Yeah. I've been mad about it lately because there's been more of a talk about like female directors and I'm like so many brothers and you know it's because they grew up together making movies together. Yeah. And I'm like, somebody buy, if you've got two girls, if you're listening right now and you have two girls buy them a camera yeah that's my public service announcement for this it's that's a good public service announcement. i I wish i had a brother or sister (laughs) i'm so lonely (laughs) we're we're learning a lot about you (laughs) this is good why will anyone make movies with me (laughs) i just by myself (laughs) no one can hold a camera (laughs) well the russo brothers had the luck of being born with each other i guess uh and and they uh, look, I do think uh, brothers, sisters, two directors is actually, in my opinion, a smart move. I, I don't think a lot. I mean, obviously, directors can carry the weight of a film on their own shoulders. They've been mm-hmm. doing it since cinema was a thing. But there is something reassuring. And I feel like almost probably a more calming sense on set where it's like one of them's tired. The other one can kind of take like, yeah, it's it's not going to destroy one life. It's going to chip away at two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, but it only works if they share a, like a, a vision and a point of view, which is, I think, why brothers wind up doing it because they presumably have grown up being fed most of the same information to their brains right so their their aesthetic and their sense of humor would would morph together yes in a way that bringing just like two randos that happen to want to do it would not work yes um 
what was your impressions now uh, upon rewatching The Winter Soldier? Here's the thing about Winter Soldier. Uh oh, here we go. And this was my thing when it came out, mm-hmm. and I've rewatched it, and it's still my thing now. Okay. It is of all of the Marvel movies the most gun heavy, and it is off putting to me. Okay. Because I enjoy more of the like. As you said, marvelous. I like the superhero-ish aspect, but the Winter Soldier is too well gunned. There's too much. There's just too many guns in it for me to enjoy it the way I usually enjoy a superhero movie. Gotcha. Because sometimes they're like, even like Iron Man is like shooting stuff from his hands. Like there's ways they find to get around just straight up guns. Mm-hmm. And they're, the Winter Soldier is packing heat. This falls into the category for me of it's not... It's obviously in in today's in today's current climate the mm-hmm. the gun debate is is hot. Well, this has been my brain my whole. I was raised that like guns are like not acceptable forms of entertainment. So I have a very visceral reaction to that much shooting. I have uh it's let's yeah fuck it let's get into it let's get into it so i grew up in new hampshire mm-hmm. uh live live free or die or uh live freeze then die should be the more uh, uh you you're getting kickback from all over with these it's, days. It, well yeah i mean i don't know if they want that as a slogan uh it's just cold <laughs> up there they might not want yeah it's fair they might not want it they can have it for free is there they're gun heavy a lot of guns yeah, shoot, so, shoot up? yeah i grew up uh i have uh guns back home mm-hmm. um with my father uh we always went out shooting again uh i i feel like it's important to preference we had rifles and handguns no semi-automatics no mm-hmm. uh it basically weapons that uh people or regular civilians i feel like shouldn't be able to have um my dad was a sane gun owner um mm-hmm. and I, they do exist um and he taught me shooting. He taught me the proper uh, reverence for having a gun. He never went hunting. He actually just used these guns for target practice. And, and you know, the shotgun is more of a home defense sort of thing if it ever came to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, it's it's different depending on where you live and whatnot. But as far as you bring up a very interesting point, because I am I feel I am of two minds of the subject. One, uh, guns as entertainment. And I'm not talking about shooting or target practicing or because that you no, need to within, actually within media within media because doing shooting a gun yourself i would hope you at least have enough proper uh you know uh respect for the thing to to treat it in a certain way guns in media are just ridiculously like fetishized for lack of a better term but that is the word and i do think a lot of times it is the lazy storyteller's way out for danger Mm -hmm. uh if that makes sense when a gun appears in a film that is that doesn't really uh add to it much yeah um I don't have the particular same problem that you do with Winter Soldier. Most people don't. <laughs> but I, I don't want. I don't want my. Um, how do I put it? I understand that my opinion is not the correct opinion or the only opinion. Well, mine is. I mean, but I haven't talked to anybody else who felt that way about Winter Soldier. That's a me and my mom opinion. Is like too many guns. <laughs> but it's also not a wrong opinion. Like, there's no such thing as, I guess, a wrong opinion. But it's not a. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not without its merits. <laughs> it's but like so. For instance, I think this film does some interesting things and then sort of backpedals. At first, I was like, oh. Well, the good guys don't use that many guns. That's not true. 
uh, Falcon has like basically Uzis mm-hmm. and Black Widow's always had pistols. Yeah. Uh, and she uses those in this one and she switches up weapons depending on what movie she's in. Um, I like the fact that Cap is a war hero that has used guns that doesn't often use guns. Yes, I like that about him. Um, too. I like putting him from a narrative perspective using that paradigm shift of sort of the way he views what is right and wrong mm-hmm. in direct contrast with a bunch of people that use guns and how he reacts to it. Kind of like Batman does by not using guns. Yeah. Um, I liked, I'll, I'll, I'll straight up say it. I like the gun play and the, and it's a, that's a shitbox word, but the gun usage in this film, because it feels almost like, uh, terrorism slash, uh, political thriller sort of mm-hmm. in a weird way. And I like this one almost for, for same sort of reasonings. Obviously there's different connotations to this than say the falling, the air, the aerial uh, drop scene in Iron Man three that we discussed, but this made everything feel more realer than say Iron Man shooting a repulsor blast at something or Thor throwing his hammer. Like these are real people that can be really hurt by a lot of real things. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was something I found uh, and again, I think just it's, it might be the poor choice for this particular conversation, but almost refreshing in a series of films where a lot of things don't have the weight of, for lack of a better term, again, death. Mm-hmm. Like it worked for me, but I completely understand why for another person it could be and and should be off putting. Yeah. Um, and I can watch it and be like, I see this fun. I see like, yeah, but I just personally have such an ingrained physical reaction to that much shooting that uh, especially after the first Captain America, he doesn't, he's just all shield and jumping and yeah, like, and I love that. And so it's a big, I was just, when it first came out, especially I was so sad. Cause I was like, Oh, I like when there's no shooting. <laughs> and I also, um, get very sad about Bucky. Let's talk about Bucky. Let's talk about him. He needs this. I want to tell you a little story about when I first saw this movie in the theater. Great. All my grown-ass nerdy friends knew that Bucky was the Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. It was also pretty clear in the advertising for this film that Bucky was the Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah. You know, the scene plays out and Steve and him are having that amazing scene uh, without, actually I think they're not using guns at that point, when it's this shield versus sort of knife scenario and Sebastian Stane, kudos to this man because when he found out he was playing Winter Soldier. He did like a five month, not only physical training regiment, but also a deep dive into like Cold War culture, the brainwashing of the time. Oh, like play, he did. He's a little actor. He did work, and also that scene, he practiced so long with a rubber knife to make sure he wouldn't feel droppy or jokey, or they wouldn't have to cut away. Like that's all him and and Chris Evans uh, doing all of the knife drop, quick move, whatever stuff. When when after that scene when when Steve Rogers kicks the Winter Soldier's mask off and it's revealed uh, revealed that it's Bucky, there was a child in my audience. I'd say maybe like maybe twelve or something like that, mm-hmm. and I I felt the pain in his voice. He literally yelled out in a full crowded theater. He's like. Bucky, no! <laughs> yeah, but that's how you feel. You're like, no! It was the first time this kid realized that the Winter Soldier was actually Bucky. It's so sad. And that, to me, is a film doing its job. And you're like, oh no, the, every glimmer of who you were has been beaten out of you. Like, it's just gone. Yeah. 
It's very sad. I dig that character a lot. He's basically the 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 antithesis to Captain America. Even down to the character design, the only part of this face that is covered is the only part of the Winter Soldier's face that is covered is the part, is the part of part Captain that... America's face that is not covered. Interesting. <laughs> like, That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of nonsense like that. Also, he grew his hair out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like they were like, Captain America is clean cut. You have rock star. <laughs> you'll now you'll rock star for Russia. And Mother Russia haircut you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like what they did with Winter Soldier because honestly, um, in the comics, I'm not a huge fan. Oh, okay. It's almost like a classic weird sort of pulpy storyline of like your best friend turns evil. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. whatever. It the films uh give a lot more weight than I feel like the graphic novels do at this point with with him. I mean, maybe that just is my opinion, but I, I like the direction that they've taken it. There's also something so depressing about both of them that they're like, I don't know if you know any World War II vets, but the idea that they're not only still alive, but have to keep doing stuff yeah. is so depressing. Like, let them die. Well, that's, Everyone that's, they know is dead. Let them die. That is what I feel like how this film draws you in emotionally as quickly as it does is you're seeing cap acclimate who is 95 at this point, uh, technically to being back in the world. Oh my God. Uh, in fact, they make a joke about it at first. Like uh, when he first meets Falcon after the, on your left, like running Uh, scene. Uh, and he, he's, he tells him to, uh, write down the trouble man soundtrack in his little book. Mm -hmm. And you look at the book, uh, fun fact, that book has different versions of what he, what captain America should learn depending on the region in which it actually was released. Oh, that's really funny. So the U S says like, I love Lucy, the moon landing, Berlin wall up and down, uh, disco, typhoon, star Wars slash Trek, Nirvana, Rocky, blah, blah, blah. There's other weird shit. Like the Italian version mentions the Ferrari's victories at the F1 Grand Prix. Uh, the French version mentions the fifth element. The Russian version uh, <laughs> mentions uh, Vladimir Vostovsky. Uh, Brazil has stuff like they're all different. And I, I was like, that's a fun way to kind of do that. They're different. That's funny. That's cool. But then it goes from sort of joke to kind of really sad you see how lonely and empty his life is outside of this work that he's doing this espionage work uh even the the sort of side comments between him and widow about finding him a date he just doesn't want to do it because it turns out the love of his life is old and has alzheimer's and has a heartbreaking if not kind of sort of poorly cg'd uh scene uh with Haley atwell oh yeah yeah. Um, but like also what is he supposed to do date a 20 year old like right exactly and that's the sort of that's uh, that's a it's a hard thing to sort of get across i liked how they sort of hinted it but he's just so alone he goes to the va and sees sam and like listens to the people talk about their sort of their their war experiences uh sorry and i i go back to the Haley atwell scene like i i legit get misty every time i watch that and it's it's Here's a character you really like that they've put in a situation where you're like, fuck, your life sucks. Sucks. And and then to find out that not only has everyone who you know and love either old, senile, or dead, but, oh my god, your best friend's alive. Oh, shit. Sorry, he's gonna try to kill you. Yeah. Oh, it's so depressing. It just makes me think of, like, my grandpa and his friends. Like, if they were somehow cryogenically frozen and then pitted against each other. Yeah, how, how pissed, or if they just, or just with their minds as is, were suddenly forced to do a bunch of stuff. 
They'd just be oh. so exhausted. Yeah. If I was like, Grandpa, you get to be put in a young body and stay alive forever. He'd be like, please, no. Like, <laughs> I just, can I go to bed? Like, <laughs> Do I have to hold the shield against the minigun? Yeah. They're... What else about this? I think uh, this film is the first time I've really like uh, cared about Nick Fury. True, true. I think they do a lot with Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury. Uh Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. This is something I really dig about this movie uh-huh. that I think helps counterbalance some of the like over the top actiony stuff for me. This movie takes the same level of care in its smaller moments of either uh, emotional silence or sort of dialogue as it does with its giant sort of highway fights or helicarrier explosions. It does, yeah. And by, and by that I mean the conversations between Nick and Cap in uh, in the elevator as they're going down to the helicarrier and Nick Fury is telling the story of his grandfather who used to work in elevator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got the, the scene where uh, Cap and Black Widow are in the truck like driving and they're sort of discussing what it means to be involved in this sort of line of work not to mention what steve's kind of going through and then you have moments oh hell i think the even though it's a little bit more fantastical the scene where they're in the bunker and arlem zola who is has become that computer is sort of laying out like oh shit you've been played even that scene like there's not a ton of action but it's it's all so compelling because by this point you have cared about these characters and to get a better look inside of what they're actually doing in sort of more day-to-day moments. Hell, going back to that question we had of like, do we ever see superheroes sleep? Mm-hmm. No, but this is a really nice way to sort of humanize them more. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, So I dig that a lot. I think this might be Widow's, Black Widow, uh, Natasha Romanoff's best film. She gets the best character arc and information and act like everything she does in this is the best they've given her. I like that they don't make her and Cap a love interest thing. Oh, I love that that doesn't happen. But I also do like how they they play like a weird sort of like kiss out on the run sort of scene, but they don't. It, it feels correct in the space, and it, it 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 actually helps to sort of teach you more about Cap's alienation when she's like, "Was that the first kiss you've had since like 1945?" Yeah. Also, I enjoy because like the reality of Black Widow is that she has been created to use sexuality mm-hmm. to get shit done. Yeah. And as much as she is like trying to do good in the world and but that is still part of her MO and they use they use it subtly enough to where I'm not ever like, "Oh, come on." And they did a good they do a good job playing off that she would like still be like flirty and give him a hard time but like it doesn't have to be a romance that's just her personality and i appreciate that yeah because they could make her just fuck everybody <laughs> and they don't and i appreciate it yeah well i think we're gonna get more into widow when we get to ultron oh yes because there was some sort of scandal about that with uh joss whedon and the way he wrote that oh i can't wait to hear. i don't know the scandal <laughs> um I loved the little things that keep you going through the damn MCU. Like, I don't know if you remember, but there's a moment when Cap and everybody is going to sort of storm the the Triskelion, the shield base, and try to stop the helicarriers from taking out their, their task. And uh, like he gives his really cool speech. Mm-hmm. And then uh, goes and then like sort of half and half of the teams of the entire shield base turn on each other. 
and the one real nerdy guy won't launch the things because he's like captain's orders or like yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. that kid's flying a helicarrier in ultron like there's oh. little bits all taken from like these minor characters that they still care about well i like that rumlow the bad guy in this who mm-hmm. le- leads that really badass elevator fight scene with between chris evans and like 12 dudes which is um, great he's that mini villain crossbones in the beginning of civil war Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Marvel Universe loyalty. I like MCU stuff because it lets you have fun with it and just treat it like it is. But if you want to deep dive into it, like maybe two people might be doing for over the course of probably six plus hours at this point, you can be rewarded (laughs) (laughs) by doing so. Mm -hmm. I don't know who I'm talking about. Uh, Shalia, you had something you wanted to bring up about Anthony Mackie, uh, a.k.a. the Falcon, correct? Here's the thing. And this happens... This has happened other times within uh, the the history of Marvel movies coming out. But every once in a while, one of these actors is douchey on a talk show or something, and it ruins their character a little. Yeah. And Falcon, is, he ruined that character for me. What did he do? Refresh my memory. He's just a dick in every interview he gives i'm like you think you're so fucking cool <laughs> like he just i he, i just he seems like someone that i would be just so annoyed to have to talk to because he likes himself so much and i i get that like that kind of personality then works with the superheroes and i know a lot of these guys are probably like that but they're better at reining it in when they're interviewed they're better on the press tour. And Anthony Mackie just thinks he is God's gift. And it makes me so sad because he should be on my list of, hey, cutie, what's ups for these movies. <laughs> but I've heard him talk and I'm so like, oh, please never leave me in a room with you. He uh, and it's and it's I don't know if this is I'm going to give him a backhanded compliment, I guess. All right. The the character of Sam Wilson, of Falcon, is like reserved and likable, right? Yeah. And then he as a person is the opposite of those two things. Is this a case of someone that we like we don't like or we sort of respect as a person, but you like look at him just being like, well, I mean, he's good at this thing he does. Like, is there I, Yeah, no, I he's good. I think, didn't he go to, like, Juilliard or something? He's, like, overqualified for this job. Like, I get where the ego is coming from. The thing is also, I know actors. Sure. And I just am like, oh, I've, I've, I've been stuck talking to you at a party before. Like, not you, but, like, I've talked to you at a party. And, boy, am I waiting for someone to interrupt. When's the hors d'oeuvres coming back around so I can follow them away? The other thing that, what, do you remember, um... Chris Evans and uh, Jeremy Renner when they were total douchebags in an interview. No, they just were really douchey. And I was uh, it really off put for a while. But it's an interesting thing how like when you see this many movies with these people, like it's not like when you see one movie one time and they do the press tour one time. And then like we have seen these guys giving interviews as themselves and being these characters for like a decade. So like they need to be on their shit yeah. or they can affect how you view them and it's totally happened to me there was some jeremy renner stuff going on i think during the ultron press junket that he said some oh, shit they, about they said some derogatory shit about uh scar joe yeah 
They like called her a whore or something. She's a slut. Is that what Renner said? That's what they said. Renner said she's a slut. And then they started laughing a lot. And then Chris Evans said a complete whore. And just out of no. That's f- and that was. And they were like, <laughs> like cracking up. Ugh. I know. I, I don't know. I, I look. They whoever they were talking to, they were too comfortable with. Oh, never meet your heroes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as this film is concerned, I, I think if I want to bring back the what we what we're learning, what we're learning, what are we learning? <laughs> the learning portion of this. I was doing a lot of research on the side just for my own personal things about the Facebook scandal currently going on. Oh, uh huh. And about the selling of our information promise never to be sold, yada, yada, yada. It's disturbing how the plan and the machinations of the of Hydra in this film are so similar are so similar and so it's almost like a roadmap yeah. like their whole thing is they've made an algorithm that based on your internet traffic and your history and what your Alexa and whatever the hell and like all these different things can sort of glean about your life it can basically predict your goddamn future Mm-hmm. And therefore, it can target you wherever you are and kill you instantly. Mm-hmm. That's some fucked up real life heady shit. Here's the thing. And this has been my weird reaction with all the Facebook stuff. I have back to the way I was raised a little bit. I have never not thought like they're watching. Like, of course. <laughs> I was raised that, of course, they're taking your information and tracking you and could kill you at any moment. Of course. Yeah. It's silly to think other. It's naive to think otherwise. Yeah. And then I feel like I'm like, am I a conspiracy theorist? I'm like, I don't think so, because it's true. Because, (laughs) yeah, that's the that's the strangest part of this entire thing is you're 100 percent not a conspiracy theorist. It it, it is funny when when Facebook Messenger came out. I know now we're talking about Facebook. The 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 all the headlines I wrote when the and the individual Facebook Messenger app dropped. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, by the way, people were sort of taking this apart at the code level, and it's doing some weird. It does weird stuff. It looks at your photos, your texts, your videos, your calls. It listens to all this stuff. Maybe you shouldn't install it. Yeah, but then you can't open your messages if you don't do it. But I, I know, but I didn't. I never installed <laughs> Messenger. Right? Good for you. And then this all hit, and you found out it was Messenger. I was like, motherfuckers! They would. They told. They, they told. They, they, told them. they yeah. found out. Not Facebook didn't do anything good. I'm just saying people found this and now it's a huge thing. Look, I've been suspicious ever since I Googled trying to find a pair of chunky white sandals and then immediately got an ad for chunky white sandals and was like, I'm being watched. But I bought those sandals. <laughs> They're, <my laughs> They're predicting your future. Shoot. The algorithm works. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's great for shopping. Uh, shout out to our, our, our favorite listener, the NSA. Um, hey, guys. Or CIA or whatever, FBI, whatever government agency is enjoying this. Or guys in prisons, because I've, I've got a weird f- prison fan base. Do you? I do. I've had several requests from prisons well. for visits and calls. I have not responded. <laughs> I would never uh, ever guess why. Um, <laughs> so Captain America, the Winter Soldier does bring up uh, a, a interesting problem in our time 
that I think is a, just another sort of example of like, maybe we shouldn't just trust everybody that says trust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's move on to the home of the best soundtrack I can think of in a big budget blockbuster action movie. Oh, it's so fun. Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians directed, of the Galaxy. Go, oh, sorry. Directed by James Gunn. It's okay. <laughs> I got excited. We're all friends here. Um, it's so fun. So you probably, when you first saw this, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just taking a guess. I bet you're right, but go ahead. You had never heard of who the Guardians of the Galaxy were before. No, never heard of them. What did you think of it? I loved it. I like, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> I was fine with, like, I, it's very, I'm an easy sell for things like raccoons and trees and stuff. Sure. I'm a very easy sell for that. It was the first time we'd seen ripped Chris Pratt. Mm -hmm. He had never existed before. Like he'd been Andy, soft Andy. And suddenly the the funny, doofy, soft guy was ripped. So I was in for that. Mm -hmm. Lee Pace is the bad guy who, if you're me and you're obsessed with pushing daisies, was a big, big get. Yep. Um. There's a girl that's there more than one girl that has stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. There are multiple girls that do things. I was sold. I was in. I loved it. It was fun to rewatch. There are a lot of things that I uh, forgot about. But like, even though I was not familiar at all, I was totally into it the first time I saw it and was not like, uh, what are you trying to like? Because it's a pretty easy concept to get into. Yeah. The way I coined it when I first saw it, I, I think I tweeted or something, and I was just like, well, guess we don't need Star Wars anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is very Star Wars. And it's a nice update to Star Wars before Star Wars updated itself. Mm -hmm. um, man, this movie is another one that surprised me when, when, when the mists start gathering behind my eyes when certain things happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, the beginning is a heart puller at Earth 1988 when little Peter Quill oh. watches his mother die and doesn't take his take her hand. Yeah. Uh, and then immediately gets abducted in one of the like scariest little kid abductions. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're like, um, Chris Pratt as Peter Quill. Uh, all abs aside, but how can you? But how can you can't? They're on all sides. You can't. They're on all sides. He has abs on his back at this point. They're in places they don't belong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is as a character, I think, the perfect audience cipher. He is, especially for the audiences that this these films are a lot of times marketed towards, and more in the second film, but sometimes in the first one. So it, it's a it's a twofold genius stroke of filmmaking so you have a character that got abducted from earth when he was young so he only has young references but he also talks like sort of like a nerdy guy in his 30s would talk about things mm -hmm. and he makes references to stuff and no one understands him and he thinks he's way cooler than he is yeah so there's it's twofold one it's an audience cipher to put you as a as a fan of comic book movies into a character that's in a fabulous world that would is would be otherworldly that you can instantly relate to but two and on a subtle level in this one and more more advertly in, in guardians of the galaxy volume two it cuts that character down a bit. Yes. And this is my world I live in. I love these movies. I am the person that Peter Quill is being marketed towards. Mm -hmm. I think everybody, including myself, should get taken down a notch from time to time. 
Uh-huh. It's healthy. It makes you a better person. <laughs> you got to get slammed sometimes. You do. So so I really appreciated that they kind of made him a bit of a dick and a bit of a know-it-all and then but then like he's he people show him up a lot and then he at the end does the right-ish thing. Uh it's it's really I think they did a wonderful job of it. Uh, and I mean, I would be lying if I said I didn't have a rather expensive cosplay of Star Lord. <gasps> really? Yeah. Cool. I'll send you the picture. I'm very proud. Baby Groot's on my shoulder. You go to stuff. I do. Uh, this was I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it. Offline. We'll talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, again, not going into Guardians of the Galaxy, knowing where it fits in the world or anything. Right, um, right, right. This was another instance where when I first saw it, I viewed it completely as a standalone thing. Yeah. I wasn't going into it trying to figure out how it connected or anything. So it's surprising to go back and watch it and see all the things that connect because I didn't watch it at all with that filter when I first saw it because I was like, I don't know who the hell these people are. <laughs> They they never seem to be in the same world as any of the Avengers. Like there's no, yeah. It just didn't. I, I was like, this is just its own thing. Now that Disney owns it, they're gonna do this. That was kind of how I viewed it. Is like Rogue One. Yeah, I mean, it it very well could have, I think, fallen into into the pitfalls almost that sort of Rogue One did, uh, depending on which way you look at it. The the C list to D list comic characters getting such a top billing in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, Iron Man was a B list or C lister at best before his movie, so it's not like crazy, crazy. But more people knew who Iron Man was than the Guardians of the Galaxy because he's got a song. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only re- I was like, they made the song a movie. <laughs> Yay! It's in the trailer. Um when I first saw it and when it first came out uh, or even when it was announced, I was like excited, but like, I don't, I didn't really care. And then you saw it mm-hmm. and you're like, Whoa, like it was so fun. They did a fun space movie and Marvel yeah. at, up to this point had not done that yet. So, uh, I dug a lot about how this film gets the, I'm going to jump into the meaning right away of it. I think is, is this film gets correct a feeling of more than any other Marvel film. I'll use the term family. Yes. Uh, meaning the family that you choose. Mm-hmm. Um, it does a wonderful sort of thing about inter. It, it, it inter introduces every character in their own specific way, brings them together naturally, shows the the sort of the way that these characters would actually interact. And eventually come to trust one another and become a unit. Yeah. Uh, And that is something that, I mean, when it works, it works in any genre film. But to throw it into a giant space sort of opera nonsense thing with characters we've never heard of, to have it be pulled off and be as emotionally resonant as it was, uh, it kind of blew my mind at at that point. It's so uh, sweet. Yeah. It's so sweet. It's such a sweet superhero movie (laughs) like there's a ton of moments that do uh so much stuff right now the tone is is pure james gunn uh he's the master too of the sort of funny aside shot uh like if there's something intense going on like they're breaking out of the prison and like everyone's having to get the pieces of the thing that, that rocket says they need to get out of and then it just cuts for like three seconds to peter with uh inmate and he's like you need my what yeah yeah. and then like it cuts back to more like those type of things are the type of things that i think keep the the tone light even though when it wants to be emotional it will go 
gut punch you in the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, again, I go back to sort of the Malaketh Thor, the Dark World, Dark Elves villain thing with Ronan, Lee Pace. Hey, Lee Pace. So cute. <laughs> I think they do really good work with that character. And again, uh, this movie has a lot of what we determined to be called weight to it, that it can't overdo it with the villain. And that's why I think Thanos doesn't take full front and center, even though he's Gamora and Nebula's sort of adopted father after he destroyed both of their races and turned them into killing machines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good guy. Yeah. Great, great guy. <laughs> Wonderful at parties. Uh, he gets set up as being super powerful. He kills the other, who was the person who gave Loki the scepter in Avengers. Mm-hmm. That he was Thanos's sort of like messenger guy, uh, with like eight fingers. Too many or too little, depending on the hands. <laughs> depending on how intricate the handshake is, um, they do tiny things like they did with Malaketh to introduce that the it is a full character and it gives you motivation without having to like really go into it and make it the, a focal point of the film. There's something when I don't know if you remember when Lee Pace is first introduced he's raised out of a bath of like dark blue liquid and then they put like the ceremonial makeup on him. Yeah. They like pour shit on. I was like is that liquid gold? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's infused with metal. <laughs> I found out an interesting thing because there's another scene in the film that actually when he's in interrogating one of the Nova Corps and he smashes the head with the hammer and you see like their blue blood sort of go down the little thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realized I was like, oh my God, it turns out that it, and this is canon. Ronan's so evil that he literally sleeps in the blood of his enemies. Like that's what he's being raised out of is his enemies blood. as his morning ritual. <laughs> yeah. You know, a nice light exfoliation. Oh, that's of so great. And I'm like, Jesus, like, so they do little things. That's amazing to give him depth without focusing on the character. And, and it makes him at least the presence that, that like, even when he like betrays Thanos and goes after the Nova planet, uh, himself, what a guy, uh, you, you're never like, Oh, I'm afraid of Ronan, but you understand that why the characters in this, in this movie would be afraid of Ronan. Yes. Um, so it, this movie does a ton great. I think the collector stuff is a wonderful sort of, it's, I think the collector scene when they go and they sort of basically give you an info dump about the Infinity Stones. Yeah. Because the whole thing is they have the Power Stone. Which, again, when I thought this was a standalone thing, was like, what the hell do I need to know any of this for? Like, <laughs> I don't have a lot of foresight when I see movies. I'm like, this, why would I care? Like, <laughs> and then I go back and obsessively, I'm like, what did I miss? I missed it. I wasn't, I was being just <laughs> Again, that's kind of the fun thing these films can do is once you realize how deep the rabbit hole goes, it's it mm. I don't think it stops. They're they're not stopping as long as they're printing money. You can go back no, it just keeps going. So I think this film does so many stuff right, even even down to even down to Groot's sacrifice. Oh, it's so oh, it's so heartbreaking and sweet. Yeah. Uh, from a tree that just says one thing. Yeah, and also They did a good job. Vin Diesel uh, had to say like the lines like over he had to say I am Groot like a thousand times. You gotta say it different ways. He said it in different <laughs> languages too for the other releases in other countries. Oh, that's so funny. That's great. The stuff with Rocket, who would have thought that they could make an anthropomorphic foul-mouthed raccoon something you actually have an emotional attachment to. Look, I'll say it, and I've said this before. I know a, a couple different guys that have written for uh, Rocket and Groot comics. Yep. And I have asked them to have Rocket date my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like him. 
I think he'd like Lola. <laughs> and, you know, never say never because they <laughs> I would have thought that that would be impossible until I saw them pull off an anthropomorphic raccoon I gave a shit about. Yeah, they should have her. They, they should draw my dog in. <laughs> The way the way that they actually can turn that little CG character into something that you would be you would approve your dog dating. Yeah. Uh is a feat in itself. The fact that I'm trying to set my dog up with anyone. <laughs> is well, that, that's a different issue. Something else. <laughs> but the fact that like the scene in the bar when they're waiting to meet the collector, uh when when uh him and Drax get in a fight. Mm-hmm. And you really sort of get the pain that he's been through when he's drunk and he's like, oh. you know, the whole like he's literally no one respects him. He's been literally toyed with his entire life. Uh, that sort yeah. of thing. Like it's, it's, he's been experimented on and tortured and ridiculed and yeah. And he wears his little raccoon heart on his sleeve. Yeah. And, and they do that more too in the second one as well. And then Drax, mm-hmm. Drax, his storyline is pretty straightforward, but they do something at least interesting with the character making him sort of completely literal and, and not a dummy, but like he just sort and, of well handled literal because literal yeah. can go wrong very easily, but it's very well handled. Dave Batista. Yeah, he's great. He yeah. handles it really well. I mean, he's only been he's only been a professional wrestler before mm-hmm. this point, and when he got the role, he again uh, was one of these actors, much like Sebastian Stain, who like just stepped up and like got acting coaches and like did the real thing. Like he didn't do like he didn't pull the. Uh, I mean, I don't know what other wrestlers have done, so I won't even call out any names, but what you'd expect. Just like show up and think they're already. Yeah, no, he does a great job. You feel emotion and to get sort of emotion through that amount of prosthetic and nonsense like that. His the way his whole his whole outfit or his whole makeup thing looks. And then Gamora is one of my favorites of them because she's the one that calls out a lot of all of their shit. Mm hmm. I do think there's missed opportunities in this teenage years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for Gamora. Uh, something I was talking actually with Jamie, my girlfriend Jamie, about was uh, they don't make her character about being a woman. Does that make sort of sense? She's just like a character. Yes, yes it does. Peter does hit on her and they, they do kind of have that sort of dance moment or sort of that will they won't they sort of thing, yeah. which on some hands is cute and other hands, you, you, I don't know. She handles it f- f- like she's the fact that she's resistant to it and calls him out on it is a, a good moment. Like she calls out his pelvic sorcery, I believe is the, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it would have been nice to give her a little more, not backstory because we get her backstory. But, oh but, yeah, we get her backstory. <laughs> We get all her backstory. What, what, is that a reference to the ass shot when she's climbing no, up? No, no, it's not. No, I just like there's so much. You like that's the that's you get more backstory about her than anybody else. I feel like yeah, because uh, well, she's because her dad's the bad guy. So her adopted father is Thanos, and while they do do a lot of progressive things with Gamora, some of the stuff I think they they miss the mark on is there's a couple. Uh, lines in particular the scene where they're all walking through the dark spaceship and drax is telling them all that he's their friend he's like you stupid raccoon you're Mm -hmm. my friend and this dumb tree thing you're my friend and this green whore and she stops him feels out of left field it's a line that could have easily been changed and or omitted yeah because it takes a character that otherwise is treated with a lot of care uh again only marvel film where there's no kiss scene yeah oh Sounds good. Uh, Because no obligatory reason for the characters to to get together. 
it, it bugs me because it, it feels like a missed opportunity. And also the reactions of people that are treating her so poorly in certain situations is based off of backstory that I don't think the average audience member who's just watching this movie actually did get. Gamora in the universe at this point when the movie begins mm-hmm. is basically like a serial killer Ooh. that everyone in the galaxy is scared of. Oh, that's cooler. It is. And they should have kind of, ex- like, if you explored that more, she would become a bit more of an anti-hero. And if you're going to have harsh shit towards her, yeah, I don't know. It, the balance would be better. It just every For every step forward that the MCU is taking this phase, I feel like it takes at least one little step back. Like they're checking off boxes and then they're like, cool, we're good. And there's like two more boxes. I have three things to say on this. Okay. One uh, is to, to specifically him calling her a whore. That is the go-to insult for women. Horror bitch. And bitch isn't a nice Disney word. Whore isn't either, but somehow in censors world, whore is more acceptable than bitch. You know what I mean? Huh. Like, yeah. And that is a very easy go-to, kind of lazy. That's what, that is what men think of to insult a woman. And so when they're going down the list, which then points to comment two, which is that for all the growth Marvel's trying to have, it is 100% male written dominated. There are no women saying, how about this for the female characters? So they're doing what they can with their understanding of things. So that leads to three, which is that it's hard to discuss whether or not they're handling the female characters the way they should, because there are so few examples of how women in a, a superhero universe can be handled well, because they almost never have been. Yeah. The only examples have come out in the last year, like as of really good examples, because like Marvel has its issues. They're not nailing it. But like. The women in Black Panther kick fucking ass. Yep. And Wonder Woman is fantastic. But like, there's not like a golden standard of like, this is how women in superhero movies should be handled because they're always done wrong. So every, so it's hard because, and as a, like, as a woman watching these, every time they're not just a sex object, I'm like, we did it. Like that because it's such low standards. Like it's interesting to go back and rewatch them and take it in again and like analyze with hindsight because when you're seeing them, like when I saw the movie, I had no, like I was just sort of like, well, of course they're going to still call her a whore. Cause we're lucky she got in the movie. Like there's this sort of feeling of like, yeah. Uh, when, when each movie has come out, it has felt like, oh, they they finally are improving. At least they're improving. And that's the most we can hope for. So it is nice that we're at a point where it's like, no, we're actually uh, looking for well-represented, built-out female characters. Because even like five years ago, I, I had no problem with the horror joke when it came out. And then watching it, I was like, what was that? And it's just like passing of time and and conversation changing and more awareness of what the issue is which is that they've never asked a woman how they talk (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> the guys writing these movies have, have not spent a lot of time asking women what they say. Um, it's not their main thing. You are a hundred percent correct, and and it's and it's both. Uh, I, I will say for different reasons, it is both hopeful and sad. Yeah. Uh-huh. That we can take a film like Guardians of the Galaxy, which came out in I think twenty fourteen. Um, and now it's literally a little less than four years later and we can see the, the problems that are still there. Yeah. And again, hopeful and sad because it's sad because it took us this long, but it's hopeful because even in this short time span, more and more people are like, maybe this is not fucking cool. Like there's, yeah, it's again, I, 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 I go back to the awkward teenage years thing and it's not an excuse. It's just, it's sort of what it feels like to me it's like people yeah, they're still they're they're trying to fix themselves but haven't figured out how but they're messing up along the way which i if this was an actual person and an actual teenager you could totally relate it's not it's a multi-million dollar corporation run by one of the largest entertainment conglomerates on the planet and they should know better but for all the reasons you just said they don't and also, uh, like, the, I mean, this is a small thing, but it's something I'm so aware of and yet also will completely justify away, which is like Gamora has heels on. Does she? Yes. They're, th- I mean, they have like a cutout in them, but she's wearing like four inch heels. Like a chunky four inch. Like a chunk. But like, yeah. And you see it and you're like, ugh, of course she has heels on. But then I'm like, well, they've got her in a tight outfit. She wants to look good. She's an actress. Like she needs to be in heels, otherwise she won't. And then I'm like, shit, yeah, but that's, but why should she be in heels? Right. And like Wonder Woman was in heels too. They're all in heels because even though we're like, yes, like the female superheroes, we're also like, no, but they need to look hot. And we're like, please let me look hot. Can I be in heels so that my legs look good? Like I'm in tight clothes. Can my ass look good? So can I wear heels? But also I'm a superhero. Like it's just so much to like brain bucky we gotta we're brainwashed <laughs> <laughs> we've been winter we gotta soldiered dig our entire through time all this winter soldiering of what ladies are up to but it is <laughs> it's hard because i i've noticed that the heels thing drives me nuts but every time i'm like and if i was in this situation i would want heels <laughs> like because it makes you look better yeah and the men wear heels too we've established that <laughs> yeah i think yeah it's a conundrum. I don't think. I don't think you and I will answer this. No, time we around. won't. And I've got too much shit caught up in my own, you know, my own lady stuff. Oh boy! <laughs> again, I, I'm glad you bring up the lady stuff because I'm starting to become again as a as a guy in this sort of nerd culture. Mm-hmm. Again, up to four years ago, I, I don't know. I'm probably a little bit longer or whatever. I wouldn't have given it a second thought, and now I'm I'm. I hope myself and society in general yeah. is getting to a better place where they can catch these things before they they happen, mm-hmm. I guess. Even these it's basically a microaggression. Yeah. But it's 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 a prominent one because it's in a piece of media that fucking millions of people see. Yeah. So I'm glad to talk to you about it. I'm glad you gave your your three your three sort of thoughts or, or, or reasonings behind it. And also what's hard, like as because you're saying like a, as a guy that's come up with nerdy interests, nerdy nerd culture, as a girl that's come up in that world, we take what we can get. Yeah, there's so few opportunities. That's why there's so many, you know, slave layers. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like there aren't that many women in 
any movies that would be considered like nerd culture. Yeah. And so if the knee jerk reaction is to be excited, if there's just even more than one girl in a movie, like even when we started talking about this, I was like, there's two girls. (laughs) But that's exciting. Like two women with different points of view in one movie. Sure. They're the two hottest women on earth and they're in painted on outfits and heels. But at least they have different points of view and no one has sex with either of them. That's huge. Like, and it's hard because that's the standard for so long. Like, that's that's the most we could ever hope for. And so it feels big. And then you're like, oh, there's still a lot. <laughs> it's interesting because I had a bit of a similar reaction to this even upon the, the, the reviewing because you look at Nebula. Mm-hmm. Nebula is a highly prosthetic and yes her, her, she's wearing a tight outfit but her, her face is all mechanical and, and whatnot she shaved her head though and then had to wear a wig for a show she booked oh really <laughs> yeah i know this because she's got okay. really good hair so that was oh. a big risk to shave that hair <laughs> but the 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 fact that nebula is not once slighted or attacked due to being a woman mm-hmm. is huge until you realize it shouldn't be huge. It should just be all the fucking time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's just move on because we have to. We've got to. We've got to. We are bad at time management. And I've had a lot of candy, remember? <laughs> good, good. You're going to need it because we're getting to the big, the biggest of the big of these films right now. Avengers Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. the second and last, at least as it stands now, Avengers film directed by Joss Whedon. Uh-huh. Shulia. Yes. What did you think of Age of Ultron when Age of Ultron was released? When it was released, I wished it was the first Avengers. <laughs> the whole time. I was like, I just should have rewatched Avengers. It has aspects 100% of that. And and I think Avengers Age of Ultron was, was a film that had the impossible task of living up to not only just the quality of the film that the the first Avengers film was, but living up to the first time we ever experienced a film like the Avengers. Yeah. You will never live up to your first time of a thing that like moved you. Like it just doesn't. There are things that, that permanently change art or whatever you want to call you know like they change things and that was a turning point where you were like oh that movie can happen i feel bad (laughs) for (laughs) joss whedon for a couple reasons here don't feel too bad for him he's fine (laughs) he's fine and and it turns out in his personal life he's a little bit of a depending on who you talk to a little bit of a scumbag but as far as uh, as going into a creative endeavor like this, I can't imagine the level of stress and micromanagement and and just just overall creating a thing that, if not true, made you feel like your creative and your personal your professional life depended on its success. Yeah, um, it's an intense. And an awful experience, I'm sure. <laughs> um, that having been said, I didn't like Age. I, I, I saw it and I was like, meh. And then I haven't really watched it much until now, until rewatching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. Maybe it's just the exercise of watching all these films in the in, in such rapid repetition as we're doing. Mm-hmm. I really dug it. 
It has problems. I liked it more rewatching it. I think it's a film that is so dense and I think a little too dense with stuff and world building that yeah. your first time you watch it, you're like, uh, 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 and then like you just stop retaining information because it's being thrown at your face too quickly. Um, mm-hmm. The amount of plate spinning here is at least doubled since the last one. Oh, yeah. Uh, the addition of uh, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, Ultron, and Joss Whedon shines in this. I said it last time. And when you take characters normally doing a bunch of absolutely nutty, crazy, actiony stuff, and then you sit them down at a party. Yeah. The party sequence in this is one of my favorite in the entire uh, pantheon of these films, of these, these characters hanging out. Yeah, it's a great scene. Everything from like Thor getting the, the veterans drunk on like the uh, Asgardian ale to like War Machine trying to tell his stories to the flirty Bruce Banner um Black Widow, uh, like little sort of like fake little scene they do with each other at the bar to flirt around. I love the um, pick up the Thor's hammer contest. It's so good. It's so good. And how nervous he gets when Captain America almost get. He's. It's just great. It's fun. I, I kind of wish we could just watch them hang out. That's where the strength is, I think. I don't need to watch them do anything else. <laughs> and this is, the again, a credit to, uh, I think, Joss's sort of writing style. He'll take fun moments that are just you would like to have in the movie to make you relate to the characters more and maybe they're never brought up again. But then the man uses it as a narrative thread for when Vision is created and no one has any idea whether or not to trust him. And he gives a little speech or whatever and then he picks up Thor's hammer and he says, but we have to go. And everyone's like, shit. Oh, we can trust this thing. Like, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's, uh, that's just clever script writing. Did they know from the beginning that they were going to make uh, what's his bucket vision vision like is that canon that it's Jarvis no okay no so um cuz Paul Bettany it's good thing they picked him yeah uh so a hundred percent good thing what if they picked somebody that didn't work for vision they would have fucked up their whole thing yeah what if they picked um I don't know Sammy uh, Arbuckle <laughs> John Goodman um <laughs> <laughs> like, what we're saying is Paul Bettany's got a good body and we're glad that worked out. And it's good that he's just coated in plastic. Thank God. Um, in the comics, at least, Ultron creates Vision to trick the Avengers. Uh, and this, uh, they, I think they they did a smart move sort of combining it with Jarvis and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the scene where Ultron wakes up and it's just Jarvis and Ultron talking in like the void. And he's just learning all this shit really quick. Oh, uh huh. I think that's a really good scene. And I like Ultron as a villain. Again, people think it's one note. I don't. It's a character that has direct ties to the, one of the main characters, Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Tony Stark gave it a mission of peace in our time. And after learning what Tony is and how the Avengers have worked and all that stuff, it's like, well, this is just bad. Like, it's not like this isn't going to work. Like, yeah, I, I, that's not peace. Yeah, we need to force the hand. And then eventually, as his plans keep sort of failing and the Avengers keep getting in his way, he's like, well, actually, the best way to be peace would just to be to kill everybody. And then I'm the only thing alive. And then that's peace. And that's the way a computer would think. Yeah. And it also marks in a lot of interesting stuff with Ultron. Like, it's he's still a child. For lack of a better term. He's still learning. So, yeah, he's obsessed with religion. He makes tons of religious remarks about how the church was in the center of the square in Sokovia. So everyone could be equally close to God. And he's like, I love that. The geometry of faith. And I was like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
those is like little things like that where the giant robot bad guy doesn't normally do that kind of shit in movies. Yeah. I liked that every once in a while he would act like Tony Stark or say something that Tony Stark would say because Tony made him. What's that one moment he says something and that he gets called out for saying something Tony would say? Yeah. So he's with Claw from Black right, Panther. Right. That's who he's with. And how he loses his hand and gets the weird little robot hand. Which I had forgotten about. He says, well, you know what I say? You keep your friends rich and your enemies richer then figure out later which is which. And then he's like, oh, that that's Tony. Tony Stark says that you're one of his. And then Ultron gets pissed. So pissed. Ultron has such a flippant uh, personality where he like will sort of apologize for things after t- like mm-hmm. he apologizes for cutting off his hand then flips out it's just it's like a petulant child how do you handle it being james spader because i don't handle it that well because i'm so aware it's james spader it distracts me you know why it, it's so apparent and i don't think it's even a casting choice i think it's a, actually it's james spader's choice of how he delivers the ultron lights james spader has gone on record saying he just spoke ultron like in his normal voice he didn't he didn't put on a character voice he just talked it's just james spader i think that was a bad choice i think it was a weird a weird move for uh the the level of unusual of what ultron is to just be james spader yeah it's a weird choice i like james spader a lot but because of that the first moment he spoke i was like what the hell is this james spader like (laughs) and then it's just james spader it knocks you out it uh, it's hard for me it knocks you out of the film uh i 100 percent agree so like again for all the praise i give there are these issues where it's like it doesn't quite always land it's interesting for a franchise that's made its money in metal suits feeling like they have weight Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of times the animation on ultron 2 in conjunction with james spader's voice didn't land and feel like it was present or realistic in the scene yeah. for me yeah, yeah. again i think I, i'm praising the script and the writing more than the way it was put on screen yeah um let's talk a little bit about the bruce banner and uh natasha romanoff romance Aww. what do you think about that i just want it to happen yeah yeah they're so sweet <laughs> I want it. I was like, yeah, I want this. This is what I want. (laughs) If any of the Avengers are going to hook up, I want it to be those two. I am on board with you there. A hundred percent. The problems that I have with it are due to sort of Joss Whedon and the studio clashing. Oh, and I don't know exactly because there's different reports on who was fighting for what when. Mm -hmm. But the studio, for instance, wanted to leave that romance sort of open where Joss had a distinct ending for it and they cut the scene out because basically Joss and the studio with one another were basically holding scenes and plot lines hostage like the studio wanted to cut out a lot of the farm stuff, which I think is pretty strong stuff with Hawkeye's family on the farm. Yeah. I believe that Joss Whedon wanted to cut out a bit of the Thor stuff. Oh, uh, okay. Because it just didn't, he didn't feel like it was that important. Mm-hmm. And they kept going back and forth like, well, yeah, well, we have to lose this for time here because they couldn't just make a four hour movie. Unlike us. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, we're just going to keep going until our voices go away. Mm-hmm. So in this particular case, the the romance aspect of Bruce Banner and Natasha Romanoff there's a distinct moment in the film that their tone towards each other changes. They have that intense scene about them sort of revealing their things about each other to each other. Mm -hmm. And then the next time we sort of see them, it's a bit sort of hokey and it's because they cut out the scene 
that sort of resolves one way or another. We don't know which way it resolved. Oh. I think a big reason why audiences didn't connect with that romance a lot, it's because they cut out a chunk of it and tried to save the remains. Got if it. that makes sense. I mean, my reaction, not knowing there was something missing, uh, it was that because they do open up to each other and they talk about the realities of of their lives and the ways in which they feel incomplete and inadequate and that they both sort of just kind of acknowledged it and then move. We're like, I get, we'll just go back to normal, like and colleagues, being colleagues and fun, like fun, flirty, but not real, like not genuine. And like, I, 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 I don't know. I felt like they're, to me, it was like an unspoken thing that happened. And that that was how my brain justified it. And I never even thought about it because I was like, oh, they've just accepted that like things are sad for them and they're not really ready to deal with it. So they'll go back to work. I personally had a similar reaction to you. I, and, I, and I think I hate even using this, but like us, I don't know, probably thinking more about movies than we should or being mm-hmm. pseudo in the industry or like, I don't know what the thing is, but like, I don't know if that reads for for a general moviegoer and i think that might be why it fell flat for people mm-hmm. um i do have a big red flag moment in this red flag i bet you i know what it is let's talk about it is it that natasha romanoff thinks that she's broken because she can't have children there is the red herring in in the room that's a big statement that was the moment of contention i was talking about uh that that people blew up on at joss whedon on twitter and he basically quit twitter after that Mm. well not really Um, i i follow him he's on there most of the day well he's back now he quit he quit for like a year i'm like if he quit he did not he's lying no no no. (laughs) he's on there constantly this movie broke him like he went into a deep depression and and like it was it was not pretty for joss whedon after after this film because of that or just because of how much he had to fight not just because of that because of everything he 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 had carte blanche do what he wanted on the avengers and then all of a sudden once it was success we all know how it goes things sort of descend down and the hands that mm-hmm. control sort of try to get you yeah but a lot of people yourself included uh had that had that reaction to that and I can't speak to it because I'm not a woman. Some women feel that way, but it is not a a thing that is blanket accepted as being incomplete or like, that's just such a huge fucking can of worms. That's different than the Hulk being like, oh, I can't have sex. Like, yeah, that's different to imply that because she can't have children, she's broke a broken person that's such a huge loaded conversation to throw into an avengers movie and then not get into yeah that's too big it's just too big it's not for this movie i agree it's just that's a huge conversation that no one will ever agree on because it's different for every woman that exists and it also doesn't to me ring true to someone who's whole life is this world of avenging or being an assassin yeah like i mean i understand that a lot of her choice as a child like growing up was taken away from her i understand that part of it but then if that if you're gonna get in if she's gonna say that then someone anyone around her needs to say like react in a way that's like no that what do you mean that's not true like and like they need to keep talking about it that can't be the end of the scene Somebody has to say, 
don't think about yourself that way. And then you can end the scene. I agree. If Bruce Banner just says, like, I would never think that about you in a million years or like something, something, just something to acknowledge that that's how she feels about herself. But it doesn't mean that that's true. And then move on. You know what I want? And again, I'm now I'm being revisionist or trying to make sort of I wonder if the I wonder if the scene that sort of the cut scene dealt with it. Maybe it dealt with it. I mean, it maybe probably not. But that could explain why if a studio made them take something out. That, that did a thing and Josh probably felt strongly about it. And then he talks about how, actually, this makes a lot of sense. You might have just stumbled on something kind of big. If that scene was a linchpin that made that previous scene not tone deaf and insulting to half of its audience. Yeah. Because he talks about how the scene that got taken out derailed that entire thing to the point where it's nowhere where he wanted it to land. And then he got fucking attacked for it. And again, maybe the scene didn't do that. It was just tone deaf and, and whatever, but I could see that sort of happening. Um, yeah, it's so interesting too. You're, you're hundred percent right. It's too loaded to have for a three minute scene with no resolution. That's a whole um, movie. That's a whole movie. I was reading both takes from this, the people that were, insulted by insinuating that she's a monster because she can't do this. And then I was also reading women rebutting to this being like being sterile is something that is never fucking talked about ever. Yeah. And then another woman saying, well, they don't really talk about it. They just use it. Yeah. And then like, so it's, it's a can of worms. You said it. It's something that if black widow had her own movie, you could properly maybe get into if that's what you decided to do with the movie. Yeah. It feels like the most glaringly, oh, right, women don't have a lot of the creative power over this franchise moment. And I would hope, I guess, that there, the whatever scene is missing helps this. Because... Because then what's weird, like we were saying with like, I, I was saying like, I, I put too much on the actors and I think too much about it. But then I'm like, oh, no, does Scarlett Johansson think that if she can't have children that she's broken? Like, <laughs> I just like worry about the actors that I just and then I'm like, does Joss have someone like in his life that's going through this? Like, I just like start worrying too much because it wasn't dealt with enough and was such an aside that I'm like, somebody does somebody. This is too much a part of someone's life to where I'm now worried about it. Somebody. <laughs> involved needs a heart to heart and i'm here <laughs> let's let's sort of before we move on from age of ultron i think there's something else that this film does that i think i think it does incredibly right okay and 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 that is throughout all of its multiple uh complicated goings on and machinations moving all around to get where it's going mm -hmm. the end big battle with sokovia and ultron's plan to use it as a meteor to destroy life which took me a while when i first saw it to realize was what was happening right it's again it's a lot going on yeah but i was like oh shit yeah <laughs> it's like he's just gonna drop a city and then i'm like they're getting pretty high and i'm like oh no it's a meteor <laughs> remember he flips the polarity or whatever of the engines to shoot it yeah, down yeah, like yeah. it would destroy all life on the planet mm -hmm. um but what i like a lot about that sequence is it's only half about fighting a bunch of robots and they spend a ton of time and it is interesting and and it and it actually has emotional resonance rescuing people. Yeah. This is a superhero film that dedicates a ton of time to doing what a lot of times in superhero movies you don't see. It's a lot of throwing people through buildings and shit. Yeah. This is 
cap directing traffic, like to get people out. Yeah. Hawkeye uh, and Scarlet Witch using her power to get people out of the out of the city. Yeah. Quicksilver trying to get the police to move and mobilize. There's scenes with like trains, you know, going over and whatever, and they rescue people off that. There's just a lot of like they know a bad thing's coming. Get as many people out as they can. The bad thing comes. They're rescuing people while they're fighting off the bad thing. The bad thing looks like it's going to win and all hope is lost. And they're willing to say and die with the people that will still have to die. Yeah. And then the rescue comes and then they still just are. They're not even worried about Ultron at this point. They're like, get these people off this fucking thing. Yeah. That's something that, um, I really, especially upon watching it a second time, I was like, this is an, a, a huge aspect to these this is what these characters this is should be their primary their primary action item well it's a cool shift because they are forced through creating ultron to reassess themselves yeah and they realize that they they are supposed to be saving people yeah not enforcing peace saving people and then they do it yeah and they succeed and it's it's a nice it's a very nice shift i like it a lot i also love the shift the the, the twins go through i wish their accents were a little less distracting <laughs> and i'm sad that we had to kill off aaron taylor jackson right when we got him he's so cute they buttered up hawkeye so hard to die in that movie yeah. and then they kill off quicksilver which i was like good job like you you did it. Fine. Like, you yeah. tricked me. They did trick um, us. But I was also, I was like, because I was excited. He, <laughs> I'm a big fan of, of Joe Wright's movies. Okay. And he's in Anna Karenina as Vronsky. Mm, well. <laughs> and he's very cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, now he's dead. <laughs> I know. I was sad. I was like, yes. <laughs> I also kind of liked, I liked him and Hawkeye's sort of uh, little, kind of banter back and forth where they didn't mm -hmm. really like each other before he saves them and like there's a thing when he like runs away from him while the battle's still going and Hawkeye draws a bow on him he's like no, no one, one would know, know. yeah <laughs> this movie is I do like Hawkeye more because we established that I'm like not that big into Hawkeye it was a conscious decision by Joss to to focus on Black Widow and Hawkeye more because they don't have their own franchises that's what he wanted right. to do it uh, yeah. if you look at the screen time breakdown I think it's kind of interesting so Captain America has 50 minutes and 25 seconds. Iron Man has 45 minutes. Black Widow has 33. Quicksilver, 26. Bruce Banner, 23. Scarlet Witch, 20. Hawkeye, 19. Thor, 14. And The Vision has eight minutes. Hmm. So Captain America and Iron Man are top built. And then Black Widow has the third spot. And then the rest sort of trickle down. I just realized something that kind of bums me out. What's up? The only two Lady Avengers... That are from Earth are both Eastern European. <laughs> <laughs> well, with Captain Marvel coming out, hopefully they'll they'll change that. But like no one's from anywhere else. You are not wrong. It's just a weird specific. I don't know. Well, Captain Marvel does is going to be doing some retconny. Th it takes place in the 90s. Oh, that'll be cool. Interestingly enough, uh, because Captain Marvel's very tied to the Kree, which is that alien, the blue alien race that Ronan was. Oh. Lee Pace is in <gasps> Captain Marvel. Yay, leave haste. So you're going to get some more Ronin. Great. I, and I think as the last thing I'll say about Ultron is it's highly quotable. Mm -hmm. it, and not like in a regular sort of thing, but like it has great quotes. Like you and I both used them in the beginning of this thing. Yes. Even the, the vision in Ultron speech at the very end was lovely in a sense where there was just two conflicting ideologies about humans and how they're like, 
Ultron's like, they're doomed. He's like, and, and Vision's like, yep. Yeah. And it's a pure Joss Whedon line, but he says, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's pretty good for a robot that was born a day ago. Um, so I don't know. I find I agree with the bad guys a lot. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah. want just to, to wipe us out? I mean, he's not wrong. We are the problem. <laughs> Shalia, if you want to get dark about it. Yeah. And the void's going to stare back. But these are these are Disney movies. Shalia. I know. But I'm like, <laughs> he's not wrong he looked at the data <laughs> he's like shit shit the at the very end of this movie i also do really like because the new avengers are sort of formed tony goes off to his own tony stuff and then cap gets his new people together and a big line shilia in the comics is, is cap is always yelling avengers assemble that's his sort of like call for them to all come up oh, okay so that's why at the very end of the movie he's like avengers and then it cuts because uh, Joss actually told him to never even just say the line even recorded because he didn't want the film to like get re-edited out of his hands to mm-hmm. say it. He wanted to save that for like the last. And it's a stupid little comic book nod, but it was like a nice cheap way of, of doing it without doing it. Yeah. That I dug. Anyway, I think overall Age of Ultron ages better than most people remember it for, at least currently. Yeah. I think, for instance, if Iron Man 3 was the one I used to really like and now I don't really like that much, and Thor is the one that I still like and I defend, this is the film that I didn't really like that much when it came out and now rewatching it, I was like, I I like a lot of what's going on here, even though it's bloated. There's so much information to get through that it it like it needs to be watched more than once if you want to absorb it all. There's just so much. There's so much going on. You have to. So, Shalia, as we move away from Ultron, what do you think the lesson is that we could take away from this? Hmm. I I feel like the lesson of Ultron in a literal sense is all humans must die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Uh Which I wish I wish wasn't the lesson that I kind of took away from. It. Our hubris will be the end of us, I guess is that the Uh yeah, our our hubris will be the end of us and that we all create our own worst enemies. Yeah, that is true. Actually, that's a quote from Ultron. We're going to go out from this topic with this. Mm-hmm. Everyone creates the thing they dread. I believe is the quote and uh Speaking of things that maybe parts of it we dread, <laughs> Ant-Man. Ant-Man. Peyton Reed's Ant-Man, which should have been Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man was in development right after Iron Man. Yeah, it was for like a decade, right? Yeah. And then once he had to get rolled into the MCU, uh, Edgar Wright didn't. Edgar Wright said he wanted to make a Marvel movie, but Marvel didn't want to make an Edgar Wright movie is how he put it. I remember that. Yeah. Edgar Wright's my favorite working director. Okay, good. And <laughs> it's very sad for me that we never got to see Edgar Wright's version of this. Mm-hmm. I think Peyton does a fine job. And actually, from a filmmaker sort of producerial point of view, I'm very impressed with the skeleton he was able to make into an actual thing. It's still very good. But if you know Edgar Wright well enough work wise, you can see that it's his like a like you said, skeleton like somebody wrapped different skin on a yeah on a skeleton, and it still works. It's still a working human, <laughs> but it's but it's had its bones. <laughs> Your bones are weird. No, because you can see what he you can see the parts where you're like, oh okay, 
Edgar wrote this. Like, yeah, yeah. Like all of the the sort of like descriptions by the three men like Luis talks about, like oh, in the yeah, and like all that stuff. Like, it's oh God. I would have loved to see. <sighs> His ver- it's, it's sad. He also took a bunch of it and made it Baby Driver. Exactly. And we still got to see it. It's just in a different movie. And Baby Driver is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that's regardless. In this iteration of what Ant-Man is, mm-hmm. in Peyton Reed's version, it lives and dies with Paul Rudd. Yeah. And Paul Rudd's great. No, I, you know what? I, I feel bad even saying that. Paul Rudd, uh, Evangeline Lilly, and Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. And and the three, and the, the three team members and all that stuff, too, I guess. But like... It's so funny how uh, I hate this. I I, I, I I hate I hate talking about it. But the, if if Marvel has a villain problem, this is the only time I've noticed it. Oh, okay. Uh, Yellow Jacket. Uh, Darren Cross, the character. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the actor's name, but I remember seeing him in House of Cards, and he was wonderful. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think again, this is me Monday morning quarterbacking or whatever the hell. But like, I think it was more of a scripting problem with that villain mm-hmm. um, than and then a performance problem, or maybe it was a lack of direction problem. I don't know. But every time that character is doing something on scene, I am instantly reminded that that is an actor reading a script. Yeah. And it's bad because then you go back to like Scott Lang training with uh, Hope Van Dyne and like it's like engaging and you like the characters and it feels like you're around people. Yeah. And it sucks because that's probably like a sixth of the movie. Yeah. I understand that he felt betrayed by his mentor. Sure. And I understand that greed corrupts all. And that the particles were messing with his brain too at some point. Yeah. But that but if, but if the particles weren't messing with his brain, he's not justified in his actions enough. Like I get, you know, like I'm like, okay, good thing the particle good thing we got the particle thing cuz otherwise what the fuck's wrong with this guy? He went too big. You got the company. What the hell's wrong? Like, what are you mad about? That you you had a falling out, but he still gave you the company. What are you so yeah. pissed about, man? It you, doesn't make much sense. When you have a mentor and they raise you and teach you everything they know, and then they give you their company, and you're like, vengeance is mine. Like, I, what the? Uh, what? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Too much. Yeah. Those particles better be messing with your head. Otherwise, you're an asshat. So th- there's ways I feel like, and again, I'll never know what was Edgar's and what is Peyton's and blah, 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 blah or the, the screenwriters, the sort of mishmash of screenwriters. There wound up being four credited screenwriters. Something like that. And so there's there's moments where I think I see the tears that like, here's all the integrations with the Marvel Cinematic Universe we need to do. Mm-hmm. And some of them work and some of them don't. I love, I love the beginning uh, set in 1989, uh, you know, when Taylor Swift wrote that album, uh-huh. the, the, the Triskelion being built, uh, and it's, it's young Hank Pym de-aged Michael Douglas looks great. I know it's impressive. Yeah. I was like, this works so well. The de-aging worked better than the age makeup. It a hundred percent did. Which is weird. And I like that, that they sort of like made Ant-Man, like, like they retrofitted him to being like an agent even before tony stark was like i just like that Mm -hmm. that type of integration like that's how you get me like nerd jazzed like i'm like pumped for that i also enjoy knowing that like there's someone that was competitive 
with Stark technology, that it's not like there's this one company that's just yeah. like this is Marvel Universe is a universe in where in which the technology is just in a different place than our universe. And it's not just the Stark company. It's all technology. And I like building that out where you're like, OK, everybody's got there's just different stuff in the air. The water's different. They've got that unobtainium that hit the earth. <laughs> or not unobtainium. Oh, no. Vibranium. Never. Vibranium. Never unobtainium is the wrong one. <laughs> there's so many fake metals. Don't tell the nerds. They're all listening. But don't tell them. Trying? I don't know. <laughs> Fucking platinum. I don't care. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, it's all made from plastic so that the actors don't hurt themselves. That's true. We've been talking a long time, so we're going to mess up metals. <laughs> it's going to be great. Shalia. Yeah. We're going to be great. We're going to be great. Okay. Uh, things I love about this movie. I love uh, Hope Van Dyne's sort of like actual bullshit about how she should be the one doing it. Like literally mm-hmm. acknowledging basically all of the Marvel bullshit that has come before it. And like, yeah. And again, it's. It's help by inches. I don't know what it is, but like she makes such a compelling case. You're like, yeah, Michael Douglas, what the fuck is wrong with you? And the the way they justify it in this film, uh-huh. I get it. Hank Pym watched his wife, Hope's mother, die, watched Janet die and doesn't want to throw his daughter into the same sort of thing that could kill her and die in a horrifying way or or live forever. Yeah. In a horrifying way. Like, just what an awful, like, I think that does work as a justification. Okay. And I think that's why once she hears it, she stops fighting him Mm -hmm. because what an unimaginable, horrible way to lose your wife. And why would you put your daughter in that situation? That might be the the saddest and worst death slash uh, or death like fate in yeah. all of the MCU. If you really think about it, it's really dark. Yeah, especially because we catch a small glimpse of it mm-hmm. uh, when when he goes subatomic and whatnot. And as soon as you realize he can still hear her too, like he can hear yeah. he can hear his daughter, and you're like. Is, her, is she just stuck getting smaller and smaller, but she can still hear the world? Like, yeah, <sighs> it's really dark. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. As soon as you find out that's what's up, you're like, oh, no, no, no. Don't let your kid do that. <laughs> like, Make the crook do it. Make the crook do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's expendable. Yeah. And I think that line is helpful, too. It's like he even admits he's like, the reason I'm doing this is because I can die. Like, he doesn't care if I die. Yeah. Um, I like. And this is a more of a fanboy thing. I, I I see why people have a problem with it when he has to break into the Avengers facility to get the other magic MacGuffin. Like that just feels like a tacked on thing when he fights Falcon. I when that happened, I was like, this is why Edgar left. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like that, right? Like it's like this has got to be the scene. Um, it and watching it again as someone who continually goes into Marvel movies thinking they are standalone films as someone who will not learn right i was like why are we here yeah yeah, yeah. who cares and then even when ant-man eventually shows up again i was like oh this is all one thing like i'm just refuse i refuse to make them one giant property i my brain wants them to be standalone movies and gets weird about it (laughs) (laughs) i refuse to absorb the information i agree it feels out of place i agree it probably shouldn't have been there but this is where the lizard brain fanboy in me will go off in yes, the fact yes, that yes. anytime i can see the two characters that i like or that i know 
interact in a way I haven't seen them do before, mm-hmm. I'm into it. Fair enough. And especially because the villain in this is so lackluster and, and garbage mm. that I w- anything any other conflict point, I'm like, bring it, just bring me that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think overall, I like Ant Man. Uh, it is not by far any of my favorites. Uh, but I, upon rewatching it, I had a good time. Mm-hmm. I love Anthony. I love the the ants in general. Oh yes. Um, what's his name? Uh, who play who plays his friend? Luis, the one with all the hookups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so funny. Michael Pena is his name. There we go. He's great. When when Ant Man came out, I had not seen it, and my mom saw it and was like, "Oh, it's so funny." There's like a Hispanic guy who's hilarious. I loved it. Go see it. So I was like, all right, mom says. So I went and saw it. And then I told her about it. And she said, oh, I haven't seen it. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) And I brought it up again. She's no recollection of seeing this movie. I'm like, but you recommended it to me. That's a distinctive, distinctive mom trait. I feel like my mother has done similar things like that. It's such a mom trait. And my mom's seen every movie, too. So it's weird that she would decide suddenly she hadn't seen one when I know she goes to every movie that comes out. Oh, man. Anyway, that's my experience with Ant-Man was a, just a weird uh, frustration with my mom of, of memory <laughs> lapses being like, but I'm here because of you. <laughs> well, uh, what do we learn from Ant-Man? Anything? Do we learn anything from Ant-Man? Um, it is fun that it's a, I like that it's a heist movie. You know, that's it gives us a different flavor of Marvel. We've gotten sort of the most proof yet, even though Winter Soldier was a political thriller and, you know, blah, 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 mm-hmm. that a Marvel film can fit into a different mold. I think the fact that, like, even though they're drastically different movies, I don't know if Thor Ragnarok could have ever happened if this didn't. And even maybe even to the point of the contention and even with its with its very making, yeah, I think Marvel and this is just again I'm making shit up because whatever it's a podcast. Uh, I think Marvel, at least behind closed doors, probably does regret not letting Edgar Wright sort of move forward. Maybe not in a structural world building sense, especially after seeing the success of Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther and these real sort of auteur things, letting it go. So I think this was the one where when they interfered too much and the guy walked, maybe they took something away. Yeah. And it's still, I mean, it's still fun, but you can see what it was going to be. And you're like, I want to watch Bad. I think I want to watch that one. Um, but I think uh, overall thing, I don't know what an overall lesson because that's what we're supposed to be finding, right? Yes. We're supposed to be finding an overall lesson. The overall lessons that from what we learn from Ant Man. Um, I don't know. I like knowing that there's a, some restraint in the Marvel universe. Yeah, that they're not all like I'm gonna make it crazy. Like somebody out there is trying to rein it in. That's nice. That's nice to know. I don't know if that's an overall lesson, but it's nice to know. It's nice to know. Yeah, and they're gonna have to do that after Infinity War, mm-hmm. um, because that's gonna be the biggest of the big. Shalia. Yeah. This has been the only podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase Two. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my god. Uh, what it's is, time for what is wrong with us? What how, who who hurt us so that we <laughs> that we're Oh, doing? I've got answers. You want them? <laughs> yeah, maybe off, I'll maybe na- off. Yeah, 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 I'll name them, but I know. <laughs> Shalia, 
<laughs> no, I won't. Thank you so much for for coming on yet again. I love this. I and I'll tell you right now, I can't wait to watch Thor Ragnarok for the third <laughs> one. I'm so excited. It's what I've been waiting for. I can't wait. Tune in next time to hear me be so excited. And just blaze through the other ones to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When- I'm like, I also do love complaining about Civil War. I have some very strong opinions. Uh, we are going to, I feel like we might, We our friendship will be tested. We might have our own Civil War. We might. Um, Shalia, when you are not indulging me in the most ridiculous exercise in cinema, uh, where can folks find you? Oh, uh, deep freeze. Um, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Shalia Evans, which is my name is spelled weird, but it's written here somewhere if you're listening. It'll be on graphics and things. So you can figure it out. You're fucking self. Your damn self. <laughs> anyway, like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. And if they don't, then they are insane. Uh, you can also find me at uh, MatthewKroll.com for my life and work. Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK or on Twitter. Uh, yeah, Shalia apparently has her branding much better than I do. Mine's all over the damn place. Well, no one's name is Shalia, so I just took it. <laughs> I don't have to work very hard for like website domains. <laughs> They're True. just mine. Mine. All right, fair. Thanks, parents. Email us in uh, any other questions you have at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com over the next week to let us know what you, if you have any phase three questions, if you got stuff wrong with phase two. Yeah, argue with us. Argue with us. Give us a chance to shut you down when you can't respond. <laughs> oh, that's the best, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, it's like a warm blanket of of superiority that I didn't earn. Um, yeah. Anyway, we will see you and you will hear us next time for phase three. We can see you. <laughs> we can always <laughs> see you. We're watching. See you next week. Bye. Bye.